Jacob Rosenbaum, welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Thank you guys for having me. We are really blessed to have you. And uh, so I, I have uh, great news for our folks. Uh, we have a guest co-host. Uh, and as always, he will be substantially better than uh, Matt Sabatello. So uh, Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself to folks? Uh, because they will have just heard your episode. You, your, uh, your episode will be published shortly before this episode is. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's an honor to be here again uh, so soon. And, uh, you know, to hear Jacob's story, it sounds uh, there's a lot of similarities to what, what happened with me. And, um, you know, for those that if they haven't heard, I was uh, uh, diagnosed with Lyme disease uh, in my late 20s. And I'm from Minnesota. Uh, and so tick infested area. And I was uh, uh, treating Lyme and other chronic infections for over two years, bedridden, um, and, you know, very, very sick, but have uh, regained my health. And I have shared some awesome uh, tips and hacks and trip and tricks that I use to get better and how that affected me. So I'm definitely uh, excited to have uh, be co-host on the show and uh, have our guest here tell about his experience. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and just to put a little more pressure on you, Ryan, you are the uh, I want our audience to know that you are the person that went uh, from guest to co-host faster than anyone else. So uh, make sure you <laughs> hold up your end of the bargain here, my brother. All right. I'll do my best. All right. Go. So, Jacob, uh, first first share with our folks uh, where you're calling in from. Sure, of course. I'm calling in from Boise, Idaho. And uh, how long have you been a resident of the beautiful city of Boise, Idaho? Yeah, as we were just talking about before we went live, uh, I've been out here for about three years, and it's been a phenomenal time. And so give us, build out a little bit more about your background. So since you've only been there for three years, give us more about uh, where you are before you moved to Boise, you know, from mm -hmm. your childhood forward. Yeah, well, uh, my path has been quite a zigzag. Uh, before I was in, in Idaho, I was in Virginia. Uh, the area that I grew up is actually the Appalachian Mountains of Virginia. It's kind of the northwest corner of the state. Um, in a county called Rappahannock County, very rural um, area. So that's where I actually grew up. Uh, before that, I was in the Bay Area. Um, and before that, I was in Washington, D.C. Before that, I was in Richmond, Virginia. And then before that, I was in uh, Rappahannock County. So I've kind of done both coasts and in the middle and been extremely fortunate to work in acupuncture clinics on both sides of the country. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we've, we've been a lot of places and we certainly love it here. And I think we have a move coming up, you know, within the next year. So we're trying to decide where we're going to go from here. From here, it might be back to Virginia or back towards California, one of the two. All right. So um, so before you continue with your nomadic life, why don't you share yeah. with us uh, what you're doing there in Boise? So you did begin to tease that you you have um, you have uh, a particular type of expertise that I know folks are going to want to learn more about acupuncture is a is an important topic that we touch on, but probably not in the kind of detail we will be able to with you. So talk to us about, um, you know, about professionally where you are right now. Yeah, well, um, so currently I, I run a clinic. It's called Treasure Valley Acupuncture. And um, it is it, it's one of the biggest clinics in the Boise area. And it is, it's been a huge honor. I'm extremely fortunate. Um, we've worked really hard. You know, when I, when I got here, I just remember thinking, gosh, I just, you know, I hope I meet some good people. And if I could set up a small clinic and um, just have 15 patients a week, you know, that would be perfect. And uh, it's, it's been an extremely um, fortunate and guided uh, process to the, to where I am now. And so now I'm in a facility with seven rooms. I have uh, employees, um, see about 60 patients a week. So I stay very busy and it's, it's extremely fulfilling and rewarding. 
rewarding. So, uh, yeah, I just am thankful every day to be able to do the work. And, um, and I know we'll get into this later, but it was, it was acupuncture was the modality that I felt, uh, well, one of the modalities I should say was so helpful to me through my Lyme disease journey. So that was what, uh, spurred me to go to acupuncture school in my twenties. Oh, so you're, you give us a little bit of your transformation, right? Yeah. Already. Yeah. So, sorry to jump ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. It's all good. Good. So, so give us, give us an overview of acupuncture. Um, and, oh boy. Um, and, uh, you know, again, and we're, we're going to build this out together, but yeah. just give us an overview of, of, of acupuncture and, uh, and why you believe perhaps why acupuncture has become so popular as an old guy. Uh, there were no acupuncture professionals that I was aware of during my youth and uh, my early adult life. But uh, I, I can tell you that acupuncture is something that at least my contemporaries discuss all the time for various reasons. And I'd like to get your sense of first, what is acupuncture generally and why do you think it's become um, you know, a modality of choice for so many people uh, you know, in modern America? Yeah, well, th those are great questions. So um, I guess I'll start with your, your second question. It's it, really what we're seeing in the medical uh, world in, in modern day is this integration of modalities. So um, I think at one point, traditionally, it was, you know, allopathic medicine, Western medicine on one side, and then what we would call, you know, the, the name changes, holistic medicine, adjunct therapies, integrative therapy, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think probably the most accurate description would be, we call it integrative medicine. Um, you know, there's this integration of these two styles of medicine. And we're, we're seeing a, a great acceptance across the board, I think, because the proof is in the pudding, you know, so out here in Idaho, in the local hospitals, um, actually, a friend of mine runs the acupuncture program um, at St. Luke's Hospital. Um, and so there's, you know, there's some great, um, there's some great examples of very traditional uh, even, uh, I believe, you know, religious based hospitals that are then, you know, having a whole acupuncture and integrated medical department. So, so that's very cool. And then as, as far as, as far as, you know, explaining what is acupuncture, that that's actually a big joke in acupuncture school is that if you ask, you know, every instructor, what does acupuncture do? How does it work to get a different answer from each person? So I don't know if you want me to, to jump into talking about some of the mechanisms and, and some of my opinion on the mechanisms. Yeah, I, I, yeah we, we'd like your opinion. We're going to build yeah. out, we're going to build out the line piece separately, but just give us, give us an overview of, of your definition um, sure. of acupuncture. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll try and keep it brief. I really enjoy this conversation, this topic, because I, uh, I spent some time working on designing a course um, which translates traditional Chinese medical terminology into Western medical terminology, which I think is very helpful. It doesn't capture the whole spirit of acupuncture and the whole power of acupuncture. And quite frankly, it might piss off some of the old school acupuncturists. They don't want to translate it, you know, because I think you lose some of the magic and specialness of acupuncture when all you do is talk about things in um, allopathic medical terms. But I think it's important that we do this because I've actually listened to podcasts with acupuncturists where they were asked, how does acupuncture work? And they say, well, it balances your chi. Uh, and that was their answer. And, 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 you know, if you, if you don't speak Chinese, you're not familiar with the Chinese concepts of chi and yin and yang. If we talk about chi and yin and yang to most people in the West, it sounds a little bit woo woo. Um, but then, you know, they go and get a treatment and they say, wow, I feel so much better. It's obviously did something. So that was kind of my introduction to acupuncture is I would get treatments. And I was just blown away how a few needles in my wrist would help my heart rhythm normalize because I was having a very bad heart rhythmia with Lyme, which is quite scary. So that, that, you know, kind of caused me to ask the question, well, how does this work? You know? And so that question was not easy to answer, led to me doing an apprenticeship, going to school, et cetera, but I'll do my best to explain a few of the, of the uh, modalities in a nutshell. And so um, I think if we look at acupuncture, 
uh, you know, how it works at a very high level. It's this concept of bringing homeostasis back to your body. So there's nothing on the needle. You're not putting anything into your body. From a Western medicine perspective, when you place a needle into human tissue, you, stir, you stimulate nerve tissue. When nerve, nerve tissue is stimulated, it releases something called neuropeptides. That causes an increase in circulation. I call it vasodilation, uh, widening of the blood vessels. So one possible interpretation is that um, acupuncture causes blood flow in a targeted area of the body. And blood flow is essential for any healing, repair, detoxification, any metabolic function. You know, blood flow is the vehicle that brings oxygen to the an injury site. So whether it's a physical injury, an illness, um, inflation, inflammation in your intestinal lining. Um, for me, it was inflammation in the pericardium, the sac around the heart. By vasodilating the area, you accelerate the healing process. So, you know, this is, this is a very Western take on what acupuncture is doing. But we have to be able to understand from a scientific perspective how placing needles in the body causes this really you know, some wonderful effects, this regulation of the system. It, it increases the body's ability to regulate itself. Um, and this is one of the big ones. If, if we look at the, the word chi, uh, very confused word, and there's probably 50 to 100 definitions of chi. One possible tr uh, translation would be, you know, it's vital life force. What this could be saying is oxygenated blood. Oxygen is essential for ATP. ATP is metabolic energy. You know, for any cellular function, you need oxygen and glucose makes ATP. So when you have an area of disease, heart arrhythmia, constipation, injured shoulder, if you do acupuncture on the body, you target blood flow to the area. Perhaps the old school Chinese medicine acupuncture would say we're correcting the chi of that area, of that organ or of that joint. Um, I think the more modern Western acupuncturists would say we are increasing oxygen-rich arterial blood to the site if that makes sense. Hopefully that's understandable for you guys. Yep. It is. So, so, so give us the next piece of it though, right? We are energetic beings. Correct. Um, yeah. And, and as energetic beings, um, we, we, of course, um, will, uh, will need to have an alteration of, of our energy if we're suffering an energy and in this, uh, or an injury. So talk to us about more about the chi, because I'd like you to build that out just a little bit more. So that For we, sure. we can talk about not just the physiological elements, but also the spiritual elements of this as well, or the energetic elements as well. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm so happy that you want to, I, I often, when I'm talking with a doctor or a, you know, a, a podcast or something, I'll start with the Western medicine to see if they want to go beyond that. My personal opinion and my personal experience um, as a patient and clinically is that the real power of acupuncture is beyond the, the um, physiological increasing blood flow. There's, there's much more to it. And, you know, my favorite teacher is very clear. It says all disease starts in the spirit. So having the ability to treat the spirit um, is huge. And so when a lot of people come to me in the acupuncture clinic with elbow pain. And you talk to them, you know, and it's like, oh, you know, actually I have really bad anxiety and I don't sleep and there's depression, these things. So I'll often be treating people, I'll work on their immediate issue, but even more importantly, and really where my passion lies is I'll also at the same time do treatments, you know, multiple layers of treatment in one session um, to treat the spirit. And, and so that that's certainly my belief that um, all of these starts in the, in the spirit for sure. And so um, there's, there's whole series, I mean, too many to to even mention um, a variety of protocols and also just, just ways of treating where you can kind of build the protocol out depending on what's presenting in the patient um, where you're addressing, I think the easiest way to translate it would just be energetic imbalances, um, diseases of the spirit, 
blockages, um, all, you know, we could use lots of different words to kind of explain what we're talking about here that, that are more subtle. Um, but from the, from this lens of, of viewing the body, the energetic structure of the body informs the function of the physical structure of the body. And we see this clinically almost a hundred percent of the time is that, you know, a great example would be people that have chronic pain in their traps and their neck and headaches. And they go and they get massages and chiropractic and the massage therapist is grinding and they're saying, wow, these knots just won't come out. And, and from the Chinese medicine perspective, the energetic, the internal mechanisms inform the structure of the body. So you can work from the outside and it provides relief for like four hours. But really, you know, we need to correct what's happening inside. So acupuncture is, is very, um, it's a totally different paradigm. It's these concepts of venting things out of the body. Um, uh, tonifying, which would be strengthening or clearing. Um, these are actually herbal terms that are applied to acupuncture to understand what the points are doing. You know, so there's herbs that will um, strengthen, and then there's herbs that will drain or clear, if you will. So we can apply that that same um, look uh, or that same that same interpretation to acupuncture points, points that clear heat, points that um, strengthen different organs, points that um, clear blockages, and, and, and so on. So it. it it's a really it's a whole independent system of of viewing the body and then the energetic body underneath the physical body. Um, and so the way I like to treat is actually do both. I'll do tons of, you know, sports medicine, acupuncture on the shoulder and then also treat the energetic system beneath, um, which is, in my opinion, the most important part. So hopefully that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And I can't wait to hear yeah. Ryan build that out with you as it relates to your particular journey. But let me walk it back a little bit um, and. Uh, get some insight in, into um, what your childhood was like, um, and and give us give us a build up to where you spent your childhood, and um, and when you first started to become symptomatic. Okay, so my childhood was was extremely wonderful. I'm an extremely lucky person um, in so many different ways. So I'm full of gratitude for that. And, uh, um, so the first 10 years of my life, I grew up in a little town called the Plains, Virginia. It's a little village. It's maybe about 100 people. Um, and then at the age of 10, we moved to uh, Rappahannock County, where I then spent my formative years and my teenage years. So yeah, early childhood was was very picturesque. My dad worked. My mom stayed at home, raised myself and my sister, who's 11 months younger than me. We we're super tight. And it was a, a small and wonderful community. Um, you know, I, I was an extremely sensitive little kid. So uh, it's funny, before doing this podcast, I was just working with a uh, kind of like a mentor, therapist, guide, I would say. And I was just talking about this. So it's funny to talk about it again. And it's an honor. Um, and so I was extremely sensitive as a kid. Uh, I feel like I was really happy, really positive. I'm thankfully just constitutionally geared towards positivity, which has helped carry me through many fires in my life. But um, I was also really... Uh, empathic. I think I was taking on a lot of pain from other people, from my mother, from um, a variety of, of people around me. So uh, as a kid, I actually did suffer quite a bit, you know, had a lot of stomach problems, um, had a lot of, you know, emotional um, challenges, you know, so life is complicated, right? It's not a good or a bad. It's, it's that there was um, all of the above was occurring, an extremely happy, wonderful and gifted childhood as, as well as um, uh, a lot of emotional challenges as well. And, uh, and so then, and then from there, moving out to Rappahannock County, you know, things changed. I got a little bit older, um, made a group of really good buddies. And, um, uh, I think once I got into my early teens, you know, I just became, um, a little tornado, you know, and, and it's probably, be, you know, part of that was because I was, um, 
pushing down a lot of emotional pain. So I was focused on partying. And, and the Appalachian Mountains of Virginia is a really unique place. It's full of artists, uh, hippies, um, really talented people and rednecks all kind of mixed in together. And so my parents were more on the hippie side of the community. And so there weren't much rules. You know, we, we pretty much ran wild. Um, my dad was a gun dealer. My mom was a school teacher. I had the keys to dad's gun safe and we had unlimited supply of marijuana and all sorts of, you know, moonshine and, and whatnot. And so just pushed really hard, um, you know, every limit I could possibly come across. I pushed it, um, and you know, to level of, of maniac level, I think. And, and the guys I was rolling with, you know, my brothers at the, you know, still my brothers to this day, um, you know, we're, we were all right there together. So it was a little band of feral children in the Appalachian Mountains, if you can imagine that, with the most loving and wonderful, supportive parents around us, just couldn't really control us. So this is my perception of how it went down. And then, you know, I got sick, really sick. All you know when I was 18 and that stopped me in my tracks um, okay. redirected me. Yeah. completely. Let's pause that for a second, Jacob, because, sure. um, because you, you, you talked about your feral band of brothers. Uh, oh yeah. And uh, you know, one of the things we've learned on this podcast is that Virginia uh, is a tick endemic community. Uh, we're taking the next state. Uh, we've had yep. many, many guests on this podcast who were raised in Virginia or live in Virginia. We see a sort of a different flavor, which is interesting um, from the folks in Virginia. Uh, like most uh, like most people who come on this podcast, um, you folks in Virginia um, knew little, if anything, about ticks and tick diseases. Um, and what we see a lot more in Virginia than we see here in New York, interestingly, is um, Lone Star Tick Bites and sure. Gal, right? Oh, yeah. So uh, so first share with us as, you know, as the as the feral kid who is running through the woods and, and having all the freedom that your parents allowed you to have to live the life that you lived. Um, did you did you know anything about ticks and tick diseases? And were you taking any steps to protect yourself from getting sick? Yeah, you know, we knew about tick and tick diseases. I had many friends that got sick. I know many people in that community, this wonderful community, um, that are currently sick with, uh, you know, the horrible meat out red meat allergies. I believe comes from the Lone Star tick. Tons yeah. of my friends got sick. I went to high school with kids that get the pick line, but you know, I was um, just not afraid. You know, I was I was just fearless and and just out of my mind and, and, and so the tick disease was the last thing i was worried about you know i was more worried about police officers and parents you know that was my only concern and uh and and so my dad you know it very intuitive of him would always tell me hey man you gotta check yourself for ticks watch out for ticks and i always said my dad has no fear he's not afraid of anybody or anything um except for ticks and he right before i got sick he it was coming up a lot for him so i don't know if there was some uh, you know, sense that he was getting, um, but we were certainly seeing it more in our community. Um, and I just was thinking, oh, wow, that's, that's crazy, but that would never be me. You know, I, I'm certainly in invincible, um, especially all the things I have gotten away with on a daily basis can reaffirm and confirm my invincibility. So yeah, it, it was quite a shock to then get hit with it. But looking back, it's just so obvious. We were in the woods, you know, five hours a day, you know, so you you, uh, you indicated that you had gotten sick around, you said, 18. Now, was that when you first started to become symptomatic, or is that when yeah. you became so sick that you couldn't ignore it? Uh, both. You know, well, both. Yeah, I just got it, it. You know, and I think my body, uh, I was very out of touch with my body. You know, I was I was drinking a ton of coffee. You know, so when I was 18, if we flash forward, 
I had arrived in Richmond, Virginia. I went to VCU. It was a school of 30,000 kids in the middle of downtown Richmond, which is a pretty awesome town. It's like a little Brooklyn plot right in the middle of Virginia. Um, and so, you know, it was time to party. So I was not thinking about my body. There was, you know, I'm sure there were tons of signs, headaches, fatigue, joint pain. But, um, yeah, I just wrote it off as lifestyle um, induced issues. But then uh, the winter of 2000 and eight 2009 2008 2009 that winter um i just became extraordinarily sick you know massive fevers and um yeah just just as the sickest i'd ever been in my entire life actually i I think it was a combination of strep throat and lyme and usually we see this from a clinical perspective other pathogens you know roll with lyme you know and, and when your immune system is down this is an opportunistic pathogen it will then come forward in in totality so it's very sneaky it will kind of wait until you're vulnerable so um i think that's what happens and then very quickly i started having heart arrhythmia um but uh, you know i was still locked into my lifestyle of party every day substances every day you know we are here on planet earth to have as much fun as possible that's why i'm here let's go you know nothing's gonna hold me back and so it took about four months of i mean even eating a piece of chocolate uh, or smoking a cigarette uh, would just send my heart just just out of control so you know it was something that i tried very hard to ignore but then after feeling like i had to go to the hospital multiple times it was like okay something's going on so then began the journey of trying to figure out why my body just totally um, crapped out on me, you know, and, and so that started the exploration process. So Jacob, do you recall having suffered any tick bites during the course of your life and specifically? Oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. dude, I would go to the barber and they would be cutting my hair and they would just be like ticks in the back of my head. And my poor mother would be like, oh my God, you know, he's not neglected. He's taken care of very well, you know, but he just plays in the woods. But at the time, you know, at the time I was dating a girl, I was, I was living with her her family had had Lyme disease. Um, her sister had had it. And then, you know, she had issues, but it was, but it hadn't been diagnosed. And so um, I believe, you know, there was some question as to, did it come, you know, did I end up actually getting the the exposure that then took hold because exposure does not mean contraction. You know, this is very clear. And a lot of pathogens was actually from her. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure whether it was one of the mini ticks or whether it was cohabitating and living and being intimate with somebody um, that had an active infection. Uh, it's hard to say. Well, all of the above. All of the above, man. Yeah. yeah. It's clear it was it was placed in my path uh, for a reason. So um, I guess if it really came from her, I should I should send her a text and thank her. You know, that would be the joke. So um, so you you're in college at the time you're getting sick. Um, yeah. What what were your what was your career path? Um, you know, I, I know I know it was uh, I know it was the it was it was a party path. Uh, yeah, the career path was federal prison. Uh, you know, there was no career path. Yeah, there was no career path. I, you know, I um, I had no direction and no clear path whatsoever. So you were still feral. Oh, oh, for sure. And, you know, there was this theme that my my band of, of blood brothers, when we all got out of the Appalachian Mountains, which was a very protected environment, where you could just go wild and push it. And there were essentially no consequences. You know, I, I mean, if you get arrested, your parents would come pick you up. And, and that's pretty much it. You know, the, the people, you know, the teachers at school and the local police were trying to handle our, our, our group. Um, but I don't think they really could. And, and but then when people left that community and went out to the cities um that was when everyone started you know many of my friends hit the wall very hard and um, i actually have you know 15 guys anywhere 13 to 15 people i should say 
that I know from that community that are no longer with us, you know, from a pretty small group. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, you know, live by the sword, die by the sport, sword sorry, type yeah. of lifestyle. Yeah. So, so you still, so you don't have a rudder, you're in college, you're living the party life, uh, you oh, yeah. feel like hell. And now, um, now you start seeing doctors. So talk to us about, uh, you know, the medical professionals you saw and uh, what kind oh, of dude, advice yeah. you were getting from them. Just, you know, th and this is, you probably, you, I'm, you've heard the story 400 times. You've done 400 of these podcasts. It's, you know, it's, it's a total um, goose chase. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, I probably went to six different doctors, infectious disease specialists. I was told that I damaged my heart from partying, which is, which is odd because I was the captain of my cross country team. I was a super good runner, just naturally gifted um, it, with my cardiovascular ability to do cross country running in the mountains and um, while, while still smoking cigarettes, you know, so I was very fit. Um, and, and then I had this doctor, I was 19 and just said, uh, well, I think, you know, you were in your prime and, and now you're not, and this is just a new normal. And that was just crushing. And looking back on it, especially as a medical provider now, I just think, you know, wow, that is just so crazy. Um, uh, but you know, this is what we were running into. And, and, you know, unlike Ryan, he was saying he was going online and we were talking, you know, before we started recording, he was saying he was going online and, um, looking at all this information, this was 2008. So, so for me, it, there wasn't that much of a resource. I mean, there, it was just starting to, you know, the Lyme literate community was just starting to um, uh, be present. And, and so but, it was- But Jacob, when, when did you first think Lyme? I mean, of course, you, in order to be able to get online and start researching Lyme, you'd have to think Lyme. When, when did that first- It wasn't even me. It was my mother. Uh, my mother who saved my life more times than I can count. It was, you know, just one of my favorite person of all time. Um, just uh, she said, you know what, you need to get a Lyme test. So I went and got the standard traditional blood test, which is only about 30 percent accurate after being in the fight for maybe eight months of just just thinking I'm going to die because my heart is not working. Um, right. And and thank God uh, the Lyme test just came back positive And it was a shock. It was it wasn't even a thought through my mind, you know, that it could be Lyme. But thankfully, my mom uh, said, well, let's just test them. Yeah, so I mean, we, we've heard we've heard that many, many times. It's uh, part of Matt's journey. For example, my regular co-host uh, mm -hmm. was actually his mom who who thought Lyme first as well. So, yeah. so, um, to, so, so, uh, despite being feral, you have a very influential mother. You follow her her advice, and um, and you totally. go for the Lyme disease test, and it comes back positive. So, yes. Um, um, and Ryan's going to start to take you from here, um, but. Um, uh, what were your thoughts? What, what were your what were your initial thoughts when um, when you when you received the Lyme disease diagnosis? Well, you know, by the time I received the Lyme disease diagnosis, it was about eight months later, but it had been a long eight months. And so, at that point, you know, my lifestyle had totally changed. I, you know, just as we were talking about um, mass experience, you know, I kind of dropped out of the friend community. The activities I'd done, you know, by about month four, you know, I just crashed out of almost everything I was doing and, and was just kind of sitting in the, the rubble of my previous life trying to figure out, you know, how to just physically survive. So by the time it was, you know, eight months into that, it was a rough eight months, you know, and I got that diagnosis and it was just, um, it didn't seem like as big of a deal as it was. I thought, okay, well, you know, this is a path to follow, but by that point, you know, I was having major existential questions of, um, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to survive. Um, and you know, what is the point of life? You know, what am I doing here? And, um, you know, I was really wrestling with that. And so when mom said, Oh yeah, I came back positive. It, it just kind of, I was like, okay, you know, and that was it. Um, you know, I was just 
so deep in the experience, it, it didn't even really register that, oh, this is like a little glimmer of light. This might be a path to healing. Um, it felt like healing was uh, not in the cards. You know, I was I was wrapping things up. Yeah. So, Jacob, I, I'm blown away so far by what you're saying, because I don't know what it is, you know, if it's some kind of fate or destiny or the way people come together from extraordinary circumstances and events in the in, in life. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm finding so many similarities to my my own journey, my personality and you. You know, I'm also an empath. I grew up kind of a sensitive guy. And uh, and so I just find it incredible that, you know, you're here right now telling your story. And as you, as you're talking, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of stuff that makes me think of myself. And so like even my um, diagnosis took about eight months to yeah. figure out. Right. And so now you, after you heard that news, after you found out it was Lyme disease, I mean, were you because when I found out at first I was relieved because you have an answer. Right. Like, well, I finally know what's going on. And then I start to research and go on Dr. Google and then I become terrified. So sure. how did you feel after that? And, and, you know, tell us a little about how many, you know, what type of, uh, what, what, what was your thoughts next and what you were going through in that moment? Dude, it's embarrassing to say this, but I remember this so clearly. I could not do this podcast without telling you the truth, which is, um, I remember writing on my calendar that I had by my bed. Okay. I got Lyme. I got antibiotics. And I can, I remember I said, I can have a beer in one month. That's what, you know, so it was like, I can get back to my community, my family, my brothers, the lifestyle, you know? And so it was, uh, I had written on, I think there was, I might've just written the word party or one beer, something like this on my calendar. And I just remember a month went by looking at that calendar and I was just like, Oh fuck, this is like, you know, I'm not getting out of this, you know? Um, you know, and, and it, so I was just trying to really go down to the valley right around the time um, that I got on antibiotics. And, and it wasn't, you know, some people, they get on antibiotics and they start feeling better quickly. That, that was not the case for me. I mean, it was, it was uh, intense. And we can get into some of the experiences where I was, I was sure I had arrived at the end of my life, but um, would then wake up the next day and still be here. So, you know, it, it was, right. uh, yeah, but in the initial thoughts were like, all right, you know, I can get out of this, you know, hell and get back to the the fun, you know, and, and I had the same feeling. Yeah. I, I yeah. think a lot of people think that right away. They go, Oh, cool. This is just like, you know, regular bacterial infection. I'll just take some yeah. antibiotics. It'll go away. Life will be good again. I can go back to how I was living. But what you don't realize is the way you were living is why you got into this uh, state exactly. in the first place. And so, thank God, thank God, you know, it was a year, multi-year process because it took me just over a year to, um, start to transform. No, uh, you know, lifestyle, forced lifestyle change, you know, rehab program, um, different change of location, military school, none of that would have changed my behavior. And so, you know, really, it was like getting locked into a, a just absolute epic spiritual, physical beatdown for about two years, you know, allowed me to rebuild, you know, and strip away all the, you know, the person that I that I kind of created um, or grown into in the time. And in the beginning, did you fight that? Did you go, you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna slow down. Like I'll do what I need to do to get better. Oh, but for sure, man. I'm not stopping. No, dude. I mean, I mean, it was like a year and a half in. At this point, I'm in treatment. And I'm still staying up till four in the morning. I was smoking Newports, you know, chasing girls, just romping around Richmond, you know, still trying to do the thing, just going to parties sober, you know, and then end up being a designated driver. But yeah, I mean, it, it took like it wasn't until like year two where I was like, okay. 
I need to learn about food. You know, I guess I can't just eat chicken nuggets. Um, I need to learn about, um, you know, nutrition and, and heal. And, and really, you know, we can get into it in, later, but it was one man, my acupuncturist at the time, um, who was the guiding force for me um, in learning all that. But yeah, you know, it, I fought it like heck for sure. And dragged this experience longer than it probably needed to be, to be honest. Well, I think, I think you had, you were just working with the resources that you had at the time and the knowledge that you had, which is very limited, I'm sure. And, you know, even back then, it's like, I don't know. I mean, if, if you, if now there's so much more online about this, that I had a, a lot more uh, to guide me from all the materials out there. But back then you probably were looking at quite, you know, not as much uh, help out there or as much expert uh, resources and advice. Is there anybody that that initially you learned from? You know, for me, it was like Dr. Buner or not Dr. But Mr. Buner. Yeah, Stephen Buner. Yep. Yep. So Buner. Dude, you know, I didn't have the mental capacity to learn shit. You know, I was just totally um, not only in the fight, but also a, a young, you know, teenage boy that was just um, – not un, very undisciplined. So, you know, thankfully my mom uh, was there, you know, she was emailing Stephen Buner. I believe Stephen Buner since passed away, you know, rest in peace to him. What an amazing man who helped so many people. Yeah. And I have his book and his, um, some of his formulas in my clinic now. So um, thank you to, to Stephen Buner. But yeah, you know, at the time my mom read his book, would email him. And, and, and so really I just said, you know, I, my hands were completely off the wheel. And then it, it, it was for the people around me, my mostly my parents um, and the healers that I that I found, you know, after going to the six different Western medicine doctors, um, you know, the, with, with fairly unsuccessful results, you know, I found one that was helpful and would give me a, a long term dose of doxycycline and just do blood work on me every two months to make sure that my body was handling it OK. But beyond that, you know, it was the it was actually these these real um, incredible healers, including this acupuncturist and my parents that guided me um, in the beginning. Yeah. So it looks like you tried the traditional route first. You know, I call oh, it the, yeah. the scorched earth approach, you know, the oh, nuclear yeah. option of the antibiotic. Let's kill these suckers, get them out of our body. You know, how did that work out for you? You know, tell about, it looks like you tried doxycycline for quite a while. Um, oh, you yeah. Know, how yeah, how, I mean, how was, was that experience? And tell us about your treatment journey now. Yeah, it was just, uh, you know, I took 400 milligrams of doxycycline a day. So, oh, no, I took four. 200 milligram doxycycline pills a day. So a, a very big dose. Um, wow. Yeah. And three, I think it was 500 milligram amoxicillins a day. So, I mean, massive antibiotics. So I did that for almost two years. And the problem, and then I, I got off the amoxicillin and just stuck with the doxycycline, I think after about a year. And so, yeah, when I first started, um, it was just, it was, it didn't pull me from the fire right away. It just slowly made it so I could function. Um, I was still having tons of chest pains, heart arrhythmia would kick up, uh, headaches, fevers at night, um, swelling and joint pain, uh, just major, just malaise, but it, it made it so that I could walk up the stairs without feeling like I had to go to the hospital, you know? So it definitely got me to a mm -hmm. functional point, but when I would try and go off of it, uh, pretty quickly within about a week, I would just start going, just crashing. So I was just stuck on doxycycline, um, for a long time. Yeah. Until, yeah, I, I found these other modalities that I used, you know, integratively, um, together. And, and at the time, you know, who was it that 
remind me again, I don't know if you had covered this, but who was it that prescribed and who was, who were you under the care of at that? Was it your primary doctor? Was it infectious disease? Yeah, it was. So initially my primary care doctor is an amazing man, Dr. John McHugh. He's still practicing in, um, in where is he's in, he's in little Washington in Virginia. Uh, he was the one that found the Lyme test, but you know, that, that found the Lyme. He did the test, uh, at the request of my mother, but he was, he then referred me to some folks and, and yeah, after going through a string of these doctors, not getting anywhere, many frustrating appointments, um, I opted not to do the pick line. So that kind of ended my relationship with the infectious disease doctor. I found Dr. Richard Falkenstein, who's an absolute badass. He's like, a, a, he's still practicing in a, in a town called Middleburg, Virginia. Um, he is a, a, a retired, I think he was a medic in Vietnam. I mean, he's, he's old, he's an older guy. Um, yeah. And he was very Thank God he he knew about Lyme. He knew you need more than a 14-day supply of 200 milligrams of doxycycline. Um, so he was initially the one that was, you know, giving me the doxycycline and then giving me blood work every couple of months to make sure my body was handling it. Um, and then we we're doing EKGs and just, just saying, okay, like you're stable, you're okay, you know, just keep taking doxycycline, you're gonna get through this. But after a long period of time, you know, it just thought it just seemed like I was just gonna have to take doxycycline for the rest of my life. Um, I remember just going to the beach and just turning into a, a just a strawberry so fast, you know, you know what <laughs> yeah, that does to you. So heat sensitivity, it, yep. It just smashes your gut flora. But you know, at that point it was just like, hey, let's just just take this stuff. And and um because without it, I was way worse off. Um so yeah, and and then I, I can talk about when I finally got in with some of these other healers. If if you want to go into that from here, would that be a yeah, absolutely. Yeah, kind of walk us through the timeline of like when you were trying things, and because I me I I did so much research that I kind of scared myself away from the antibiotic route and right. didn't want to you know crash my gut. And for me, I was always in my head about what do I really have going on because I had first taken Igenix test, and you yeah. know I had just kind of a slight positive, but it wasn't like CDC positive. Right. So I, I ended up taking 10 different Lyme and co-infection tests from various, wow. uh, from various uh, labs. And so I, I couldn't stand not knowing the truth for sure. Like I'm, that's just me. I'm a truth seeker. And so I want to know exactly what's going on. Right. But right. so tell us, you know, what, 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 like, what did your journey look like throughout that? You know, when did you start switching to different, you know, maybe heroic therapies or some, you know, uh, yeah. non-traditional things. So, you know, again, my mom, she was just my, you know, my guardian angel. Um, so, all right. So I've been, you know, got the Lyme test positive, came back. I think it was the summer of 2009. Um, work, you know, go through all these doctors. Uh, it's pretty disappointing. It's pretty confusing. Um, told, you know, this just might, you just might be past your prime at 19. You know, if you can believe that may you be, you damaged your body with substances and this is how it is. I mean, just, just a crushing time. Um, finally get in with Dr. Richard Falkenstein and I'm on antibiotics, probably on antibiotics for, for almost a year at this point. So then, uh, from there, my mom has a friend, a, a really wonderful woman named Darren Winchester. She is, uh, you know, a local who's now no longer living in Virginia, but, um, you know, she was friends with my mom. They go way, way back. She had a, something called a bio machine, a biofeedback machine. 
Um, and I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with biofeedback machines. They're really cool, you know, and, and this was pretty, you know, this was, two, you know, 2009, 2010, uh, not a lot of people had these things, you know, and so she was working on me. I was going to see her. I mean, I was just doing anything. If you told me to rub a crystal on my head and eat it, eat my shoe, I would do it, you know, and so. I said the same um, thing on my podcast. Yeah. And, and then she said, look, man, I, I think you need to go see this guy. Um, and uh, his name's Tim. And he, you know, has this machine, it's a laser and we can talk about, I'm happy to share, I don't know if there's show notes, um, but I would be more than happy to share some of these devices that were just really important for my healing. Um, go see him. He has this, this special laser. It's called a Mark five laser. Uh, these lasers are cold lasers. They're made from Dr. Jerry Graham and his wife, Candy Graham in Colorado. I believe they are medical doctors. They're also intuitives and they made these lasers and I can send you guys information. And so I went to see this guy, Tim. And I didn't even realize he was an acupuncturist and I was terrified of needles, but I wanted to go uh, try this laser treatment because I noticed I was feeling better from the biofeedback work just a little bit though. I mean, nothing too much, but a little, and, you know, it turns out he had a whole, you know, host of modalities. He had uh, Pearl Rife machines. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the Pearl Rife. This was very, very helpful for me. He had these lasers, um, did a variety of ionic foot baths. There's herbs, essential oils and acupuncture. So I didn't, realized what I was walking into had not thought about acupuncture for more than five minutes or no for five more than five seconds of my life so my first couple treatments was just a treatment with these lasers um and then you know it came up hey I'm an acupuncturist we can do these multiple modalities on you I was terrified I let him put one needle in my wrist pericardium six that was it um and then my girlfriend at the time uh uh who I had actually given Lyme to, uh, but luckily we caught it and she recovered pretty quickly. Said, oh, I'm down to get a treatment. And she did it. So I was like, okay, she can do it. Maybe I can do it. You know? And so then I started getting acupuncture and laser therapy and I'd be so obliterated after these treatments. I could barely drive home. I mean, it was, it was moving tons of energy, having a huge, a massive effect, you know, energetically and physiologically on me. Um, and it was within a few sessions with this man, Tim, who's no longer in Virginia. Um, if he was, I would totally put him, you know, in my, in the show notes or however you guys do it, where we could refer people. Unfortunately he's moved and that practice no longer there, but the, the information, the resources and the machines he was using are out there. So we can help people find them if they want to try these lasers. Um, and so really quickly I started noticing like, oh man, this is, this is doing something. And, and not only the effects of the treatment. The being in his presence, I felt like there were answers. He would take my pulse and he would say, oh, dude, are you having anxiety and heart palpitations? And I was like, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and so he could take my pulse. You know, the Chinese pulse system is not just speed and tempo, um, but it's it's a it's a look into the body by by detecting a variety of maybe 60 to 70 different qualities of the pulse. Is it floating? Is it deep? Is it tight like a guitar string? Is it very wide? So by taking the pulse, there's multiple positions. You take it in on both uh, wrists. You get a great snapshot of what's happening in the person's body. So he took my pulse and was able to tell me things about my body and have answers for, for me. Um, and that was honestly, I know it sounds crazy. That was the most important part, just to be in the presence of a practitioner that understood me uh knew where i was at it was such a relief to have him say oh dude you're you must be having um you know are you you're sweating at night and this is happening and that's happening i was like yes man i mean and, and so it was just within two or three sessions i said this guy you know is the man and whatever he says to do i will follow him to the edge of the earth because he was you know really the only one that felt like i could could offer me hope 
Um, and you know, that, that sense that I got with him, his ability to diagnose and, um, see me where I was at combined with the just really awesome results. I started getting really quickly. I just went all in, you know, I was driving two hours, uh, every time to go from Richmond, Virginia up to Middleburg, Virginia. Um, and, uh, you know, I was doing that every week while I was in college, while I was sick, but I would still make that trek, um, every single week and just, just went weekly, sometimes twice a week, um, religiously for, for over a year. Um, wow. and, and, you know, and once I started seeing him, I started getting some, some hope. Then I also got plugged into this, um, group of, if healers that run a Waldorf school It's called Hearthstone school. It's in Rappahannock County. It's actually where my mom works. And, you know, I've known this one woman who runs the school uh, named Jane. I had known her, you know, almost my whole life, but I, I didn't realize what she was capable of. And so she was a very powerful um, healer and would do these healing sessions in the school. The school Hearthstone is um, a Waldorf school. It's a, a health food store and was a healing center before COVID. I think this slowed down a little bit where a variety of healers from all across Virginia would come together and do these free healing sessions once a month there. So I started going to these healing sessions and seeing her and it was really through my work with Tim and Jane. So I was getting acupuncture, rice machine, Chinese herbs, laser therapy, um, essential oils, uh, and then worked on by all these different healers at Jane's center, as well as still being on a very stout dose of antibiotics, plus completely changing my lifestyle, eliminating all sorts of foods. I was allergic to all animal protein. So, you know, I unfortunately wasn't able to eat any meat, any eggs, start to have a crazy reaction. But so I started eating organic, started going to bed at normal time, quit smoking cigarettes. Um, just to, you know, it was the whole uh, change where then I started to break through um, by year Getting three. The toxins. Yep. Yeah. And did and, you and still so, have that, yep. that, that meat issue with the allergy with the meat? No, thankfully it, it uh, uh, we did a whole protocol with these lasers um, uh, where it went away and I was too scared to eat the meat. And then Tim, he said, dude, you can eat meat. And I didn't. And then he, he came down to Richmond uh, where I was living and he said, have you eaten meat yet? And I said, no, man, I have not. And there's a, there's a health food store in Richmond called Elwood Thompson. I used to live there. They have a kind of like a whole foods, they have a nice hot bar. Um, and uh, just, you know, it was such a scene there. So I would go there all the time. I had worked there at one point. So it was like, all right, let's go to Elwood Thompson's and you're going to eat some meat. And I was terrified. But I was like, all right, man, I'm with you. Uh, you know, so I'll do it. And I ate meat and I had no reaction. And, you know, I noticed heat in my body. And the first couple of times I ate meat, I, uh, I felt this surge of energy and, you know, it, actually one time I ate meat and my dad called me and I just yelled at my dad and I was like, Oh, sorry, man. I, I don't even know what's going on. I just ate a bunch of chicken and now I'm feeling super amped. So, um, hmm. I think I just been so nutrient depleted once I started eating meat. I mean, that was mm -hmm. a hugely helpful, um, uh, turning point as well. So yeah, I think I was able to get past that. Yeah. No, that's <clears throat> it, it, it. Yeah. There's, Diet is so crucial and crucial. That's something that people don't quite understand a lot of the time until they, you know, do the research and learn that that's a large part of getting better, not just, oh, yeah. you know, therapies to kill it and all that. So that's right. Uh, that's you know, it's, that's it's really interesting. Process. Yeah. But, you know, I like to think of my healing journey in stages and in percentages. And so, mm you know, you don't just magically get, you know, you like the, the, the common thing here is, uh, you know, you get sick overnight, you won't get better overnight. And so for me, it was like compounding yeah. gains, two steps forward, three steps back, you know, I'd, I'd have improvements and then I'd try something new and I'd, I'd have worsening symptoms. Then we'd have to tweak things. 
So throughout this, 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 these years of, of healing, um, can you say like, did you experience kind of like incremental gains? Like, you know, what percentage would you say you were better by and, and what therapies at what point were you starting to really notice that you were making those gains and you felt like there was a light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So I think, all right. So just to start simply, I think the most impactful therapies for me, um, well, one, the tetracycline antibiotics, you know, uh, doxycycline in this case, but you know, I think those are very helpful. Um, so that was big, you know, cause that kept me from going over the edge, uh, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then I think the second most transformative therapy was the Mark five laser. Um, with that, you know, I cleared, um, you know, we worked on clearing Lyme disease, uh, cleared the meat allergy, cleared the herpes virus, um, cleared, you know, a bunch of stuff that they say, Hey, you know, Western medicine, this is, this is a life sentence. Um, and I was, you know, and then I actually ended up working in the clinic, you know, kind of through this process, uh, he took me on as an apprentice. So, you know, we did a nod of the hat to the old school acupuncturist where the apprentice would live kind of in, on the grounds. I actually would stay up there with him a lot and, you know, get a guest house. And so, um, yeah. And so it was, those are the modalities that, were really helpful. And once I was, uh, with, you know, Tim a lot in the clinic, helping him out, getting treated, I was eating really healthy. You know, that was when the the real progress started to happen. So I think, you know, doxycycline got me up to, you know, got me up 20%. Then the, you know, the acupuncture and the laser treatments together, that was probably another, you know, 30%. Um, and then it was, you know, just this, just slog of fighting for inches of just, you know, lifestyle, um, refining and fine tuning everything. Um, uh, the use of herbs, the use of essential oils, the use of these rife machines. I think each one of these things got me a little bit more mm-hmm. ground and it was just a slow climb. And of course there were times where I would backslide. That was usually due to my lifestyle choices. If I kind of fell off and stayed up super late or, you know, went out and was like, Oh, you know, I can't drink, but I'll smoke some cigarettes and then eat some city food and it's like well that sets me back like a, a couple of weeks um right. but yeah so i think each one of those things gave me some ground the the biggest ones though i, I think were the honestly the lasers um i mean so that let's, was let's that, step back for a minute with the sure. laser treatment you say yeah. um you did these it was helping tremendously and then you would yeah. find you would clear certain pathogens out you would yeah you would notice that they were that they were uh they were being removed and gone so what, what were you, how did you know exactly? Like what, what was it in, you know, that you were able to diagnose and, and test that these were starting to clear up aside from yeah. I'm sure you were feeling better. And yeah. Um, well, you know, of course you can always go and verify things with blood work. I really just relied on Tim to just say, mm-hmm. okay, we're ready to transition to this next stage of treatment. So, you know, I knew how I felt, um, but I just trusted him completely to say, all right, we're going to, uh, we're going to switch to another protocol with the laser. Okay. Now let's spend more time on the Rife machine. You know, he really, um, saved my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I owe the man my life. Um, he's a brother and a friend and a mentor now. Um, and, uh, as soon as he gets his practice up and running, cause I believe he's setting another one up, I'll send that information to you guys. Absolutely. I previously asked him if I could, uh, disclose his information. And he just said on this podcast. And I said, Hey, you might have some people reach out to you. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm just not quite ready. He's setting things up right now. He's in a new location. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he's ready, I'll, I'll, I'll email his information. So, yeah. So I just really relied on him completely. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the truth of the matter. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, one thing for me was, you know, I, it's tough because a lot of people aren't financially, you know, able to afford treatments. They aren't, 
in a position where they can even work. They can't get disability insurance because it's just they're they're not believed in in traditional uh, settings, and you're 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 gaslighted. Did you have any stress with finances? Or oh, was that yeah, was that racking up for you? And oh yeah, I mean yeah, I was. Um, it was again my my mother. My parents, you know, uh, so in 2008, they ended up, there was a massive amount of foreclosures that occurred in the Appalachian Mountains. And and so they lost their house. You know, their money was super tight. I was in college, you know, I was 18, 19, had no money. Of course, my sister was younger than me. Um, I was living off of student loans to get through school, working a little bit here and there. Um, and, you know, my mom was out there busting her ass. I mean, pulling weeds with her friend's gardening company, cleaning bathrooms to then pay um, these practitioners in cash because Dr. Falkenstein is cash only, you know, and I get it, uh, as a practitioner now, we do, we do not bill insurance. It's too much trouble. They'll reject your claims. Um, and so, you know, my mom rallied and, you know, somehow managed to, um, keep our family afloat, which I think, you know, my parents at one point, it was very difficult for them, um, you know, at losing the house and things were, you know, it was really touch and go. Um, and it still somehow pulled together the, cold hard cash to send me to all these healers weekly i mean we're talking tens of thousands of dollars um and uh you know and so now as as an adult you know with um a successful business um yeah that has not gone unforgotten and uh you know i'm there for my parents uh you know hopefully in the way that they were to be there for me but at that time yeah dude it was it was it was hard and and of course um also Tim and you know Tim's a great example of this. I mean, he let us he let me run a tab. I think at one point I probably had a five thousand dollar tab with him, um, which I then paid off. Um, I can't remember. I, I know my dad ended up with seeing him had like a two thousand dollar tab. I paid that off as well, but it was I don't know if mine was totally five thousand, but it was, it was a lot. So you know, it was just like hustle, fight, try to figure this out. And uh, finances is very difficult. And so you know, again, it's just the divine guiding hand, where it's like, here's the edge. You are teetering on it. And you could go over it, but I somehow did not. Thankfully, no, no, nothing by my own work. The people around me, my mother, these healers, um, to guide me through that. Yeah, that's incredible, and that's why you know I really preach to people. You know, get out there and network with with those in this that have lived through this because you are going to blow through your money fast if you don't know oh, what, you're, yeah. what you're what you're going into and what you're doing and. If you don't have that, you know, if you don't have data to back up what you're planning for, you totally. I mean, and the stress, the financial stress alone will keep you sick. And oh, so yeah. I, mean, I, I love that. Your financial ruin comes with chronic disease. And, and look, I'm a proud patriot. I love America. I've traveled all over the world. I've, um, I've had deep relationships with people that are in foreign countries. So I, I know how lucky we are to be here. Um, I, you can also have an honest look and recognize that, you know, it's a land of opportunity. You can come out here and crush it. You can, you just go forward with a good idea and make a lot of money. You can also fall off the cliff. Um, there's not the safety net that there are in, you know, some other places, of course, some places right. have zero safety net. Um, so we have some level of safety net, but yeah, I mean, if you have something like, you know, this is a common story with Lyme is that, um, you know, financial ruin is, is, it usually goes along with it. And that's just the super hard, sad truth. And I see this in my clinic. I've got patients that treat pro bono because, um, you know, I know where they're at. They're under, they're against very difficult odds. They have, you know, issues like Lyme. I mean, Lyme is not the only issue. As you guys know, there's so many of these type of diseases that are out there where you just, 
um, they just say, well, sorry, we don't know. We can't help you. And, and, uh, and people, their finances struck, you know, suffer terribly and, and, uh, you need money to seek these treatments. So it's, it's a very difficult not to try to navigate. Yeah. And that's why, you know, resources like tech bootcamp, man, if people can get on here and, and, and just give it, you know, maybe a couple hours a week and, and listen yeah. to these things, you're going to save yep. yourself a lot of money. Um, knowledge is because you'll have a lot more a lot more uh, insight going into it you can go into these appointments with your doctors informed and yes you know you can speak speak the lingo to them i've had primary care doctors that who i tell them what i know and they were just blown away and i've taught them things about it that they weren't even aware of so yeah i mean they'd have to do a whole PhD in Lyme. And so, you know, and this is the case with all, so many of these types of diseases where um, the broad overview, I mean, I've, I've been through a medical program, went to Virginia University of Integrated Medicine. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you could spend four years just online, you know, so we need people um, like you and, and thank God uh, and credit to those doctors for being humble and honest and saying, okay, you know, let me humble myself and have my mind be open and, and learn from this, this guy who's not a doctor. I had That's a neurologist. Yeah, I agree. And I had a neurologist that I talked about in my podcast episode that who I saw, cause I was having MS like symptoms. And so I did all the neurology tests. And this is a younger guy who was a neurologist at, uh, in Fargo, North Dakota, where I was living. And he was, not that familiar with like you know, how Lyme might affect and stuff like that, but he was open-minded enough to say, you know, Hey, your tests are all basically normal, but something's obviously wrong here and you're not just making it up. And so he did refer me to Johns Hopkins, uh, Lyme yeah. disease treatment center. However, yeah. uh, because my tests were not conclusive enough, Johns Hopkins wasn't able to really actually take me in, even though, they were like, yeah, your symptoms, like uh, from a clinical standpoint, really, really speak Lyme. But they yeah. said, you know, go see your local LLMDs and people like that because they're going to have just as much knowledge probably as what we will. And I couldn't believe that. Like, Lyme like where do I go? LLMD. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, yeah. And the Lyme leader MDs, you know, they're going to treat you on symptoms. Yeah. We, you know, that's, that's just where it is. So, yeah, that I was planning to go to John Hopkins, but I met Tim. And so I didn't make it to my John Hopkins appointments. I still have an account with them. Um, wow. But yeah, yeah, you know, that's, boy. And look, the CDC, the FDA, um, these governing organizations that kind of are guiding hands for the the broader Western medical community, they're 25 years behind. Um, mm-hmm. And so it takes time to catch up. So, you know, we are learning and getting there as an overall medical community, but um, it takes time, you know, and, and, uh, and so a lot of people fall through the cracks in that, in that time. Yeah. Well, a couple of questions I think the audience might like to hear because I see it on your, your summary that you gave to us prior. And uh, I, I think people would want to know, you know, what was, what were your worst symptoms and like, what was your, you know, how bad did it get? What was the worst thing you endured? And then I'm really curious. I think people will want to know about your treatments with IV ozone and the sh- the shamanic healing that you did, mm-hmm. which you say was one of the most powerful experiences in your life. And yeah. then the temperature stress therapy. I'd love to hear tell people yeah. about that a little bit. That's great. We can talk about all that. Do you want to start with worst moments? Would that be a Wor- worst symptom that you had? I worst want, I'm curious myself. So, oh, dude, you know it, it was probably not the most painful symptom, but the most uh, mentally painful. You know, I, I think, you know, 
I can take a lot of a lot of beating, but I think the the mental stress um, of I was so worried about my family members, my loved ones, my mother, my sister, my dad, uh, my girlfriend, my cat. You know, all the people I loved so much at that time. You know, that was that was my closest circle. Um, I was so stressed about if they would be okay when I passed away, um, and you know that that caused me significant pain. Um, and yeah, there were some hard times, man. I mean, I remember getting out of bed with my girlfriend and going and getting in bed with my mom and saying, you know, I think this is it. Um, because you know, laying there at night mm-hmm. and just thinking, man, we're out in the, you know, we're 40 minutes from the hospital. Um, so tired, you know, we've been down this road, I've been to so many appointments. So much. I wore the permanent EKG in my chest for like six weeks. It's just, I was just exhausted by the process by the time I got to these really hard times, you know, which was probably about a year and a half in something like that. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, looking back, it's like, Oh, why don't you just jump in the car or call 911? But really what I did, I just wanted to lay down with my mom and hold her hand. And, and, you know, she did me a great service when she said, um, you know, if you need to go, it's okay. We'll be okay. Um, and so, you know, working through, I, I remember that one night specifically, you know, once she said it to me, I just immediately fell asleep because, you know, I would be afraid to, to sleep. I'd feel this arrhythmia and, and this um, failure to beat of the heart and then this kind of fuzziness and then uh, the beat would come back and then, you know, the, I might, you know, would kind of come back a little bit, but I was thinking, man, I'm really close to the edge here. Something is, is not right. So, um, yeah, when she told me that, you know, I would just it would just give me such great relief and fall asleep. So the, the lowest moments, the most painful moments were nights like that, where I was, um, you know, whether I was truly there physically or not, you know, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you know, I was looking, you know, to the other side thinking, okay, you know, this is it. Um, yeah. And, and I wasn't worried about my own, um, you know, physical discomfort or suffering or fear of death, really not at that time. Um, I was so worried about my loved ones. So yeah, that was for sure the hardest part. Man, that gets me a little uh, choked up emotional because that's, you know, people look at, you know, us guys when we're young and they're like, you know, we're invincible and we don't tell people we're hurting. And for me, it was like the, the mental and emotional pain that I experienced was worse than any physical pain that I went through. And uh, oh yeah, there was definitely moments where I questioned if I could make it through as well. And um and I'm, you know, just want to let anybody know who's listening. Like, I know it seems like it's never going to end. And, and, uh, but there is, there is, it, it, it will get better. It will. And so I uh, appreciate you sharing that. And that's, uh, you know, I hope that helps a lot of people to hear from, oh, you know, sure. young, young, strong, you know, couple of lads like ourselves who, uh, most people would, most people would never guess that we were going through that inside. Right. So, uh, yeah. so appreciate you for sharing that. Oh yeah, of course. And, you know, yeah, absolutely. I hope that, you know, sharing that, I know there's people out there that can relate that are probably going through something like that right now. So, you know, I, I say a prayer in my heart for them and, you know, stand beside them. And yes, you know, what you say is, is you will get through it, but, but by the time you get through it, you won't be the same person that you were. So, you know, I kept thinking, I can't wait to get through this and just bust through this and come out the other side. But, you know, by the time that happened, I was completely transformed by the refiner's fire. I mean, just, I just been burned away in totality. And what was 
what was left was, um, I think, you know, my, my true self, I know it sounds kind of, uh, cliche to say, but, but by the time you get through a fire like that, you are unrecognizable. You don't think the same way. Um, so you can't even possibly imagine what it's going to be like, because you'll be so transformed and changed in the best way possible by the process. Um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's just mind blowing to me. So yeah, you know, all the plans I was making and being so excited to get back to how life was, there is no going back. Um, you know, when you go through this dark night of the soul, as you know, I like to call it, um, as you know, I think a lot of people would refer to it and, and some people, you know, we go through multiple chapters of dark nights of the soul. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a total transformation. So, um, yeah, I think I would say, don't even focus too much on what will be, um, just have trust that you're walking through what you're meant to. And I know it's so hard to hear when you're in the fire and I'm careful to say that to my patients when they go through something horrible. Um, but just as someone who's personally been way down the Valley, um, I feel like I can say that with a little bit more confidence. Yeah, that's, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, you know, when you're in it, you're not, you don't realize, but later on in life, you're going to look back and go, wow, I've grown so much. And the thing that I noticed, you know, you know, is that now the little things that used to bug me, the things that I would get, you know, uh, upset about the things that people in general in this society get worked up about, you know, it's just the small stuff. I don't sweat that stuff anymore. And totally. so I, you know, when I, when I recovered, man, I felt like every day was a party. I was like, I'm so, I'm so grateful and, and glad just to be able to like be healthy. And, and you got to hang on to that. Yeah. yeah. It's and, you know, it will, it'll fade, you know, at least for me, I remember making so many deals with the universe and God and whatever you yeah. want to call it and being like, if I could just be normal, I'll never blank. And then, you know, before you know, it's like, if I could just get that car or if I could just uh, date that person or, you know, whatever it is. And, and then I think I would catch myself mm -hmm. and say, Oh man, like don't forget the lessons. Um, and you know, the further away, from the experience I got, you know, the easier it would be to forget. It's almost like with the trauma of the experience, you want to just block it out. But you, I would say, um, yeah, don't block it out. Take the good, you know, from that. And um, yeah. And that's a regular reminder weekly. I think about this where I think, you know, cause life, the crush of adult life, you know, if you're running small businesses, you got children, you've got mortgage, you got the stuff. I mean, but we cannot forget the, lessons of Lyme, you know, and when you do come through that, I'd say to the listeners, when you come through it, man, carry that with you. It's just everyday gratitude. And, you know, what a incredible um, kind of perspective and reset. I I'm of the belief that when you walk through the mud, you know, it actually is, is spiritually, it's like Navy SEAL training for you spiritually. It's good for you because then it, it helps your perspective. And, you know, there's tons of people out there that are in a healthy body. They got tons of money. I know them personally, never walk through any chronic disease and they're not happy. Um, you know, and, and uh, so what a perspective that is, right? Well, yeah. And one of the guys that I looked up to, um, you know, uh, Dr. Rawls, he once, he said something that really resonated with me. He said that, we will all have a mountain to climb in our life. And for him, it was the mountain of getting better from Lyme disease and, mm -hmm. and healing from that and learning about it. And that was his mountain at the time. That was my mountain. And so everyone's mountain is going to be different and unique, um, whether it's Lyme or anything else in life, cancer, uh, death of a loved one, you know, whatever tragedy or perceived tragedy that it feels like you're going through at the time. 
there's always a balance to things. And like you were talking about acupuncture, the yin and yang. And I think that, um, you know, life, life finds a way of balancing itself out somehow. And, uh, you know, you almost have to go through that to get through it. Right. So, um, yeah. And you super have to trust that. Man. You got to yeah. trust that, you know, it, it's hard when you're in the fight to, to remember that and trust that. Yeah. I remember going through a, a really bad breakup where I was just so heartbroken, like couldn't eat, was dropping weight. People were like, Hey, are you okay? You look really messed up. And the the girl had sent me this uh, Ted talk and I'm blanking on what it was, but I'll, I'll send it to you guys. And it was so powerful where the whole premise of the Ted talk was a lot of people walk, walk through life and, you know, you get pounded when you, when just, you know, you go through life, hard stuff is happening, happens to all of us. Some people out of, out of self-protection, shut themselves down a little bit, but by doing that, they accidentally and inadvertently also close themselves off to the good. And, and the whole premise of the Ted talk is that it takes tremendous courage to, you know, keep yourself open, um, allow yourself to feel and fully experience the utter, you know, shit, the other difficulty, because then you'll also be open to all the magic and beauty and light that life really is. So, you know, when we're way down in, in the Valley, you know um, it's easy to just say, wow, I, just, I can't take this. And we just close off. But the whole premise of the Ted was saying, even when you're suffering deeply, um, you know, be, you know, practice and work on being courageous, keeping your heart open, keeping yourself open to all that is life, because there's also all this magic, beauty, joy, light is there available to all of us. Um, and, I, you know, that resonates to me, whether it's heartbreak, chronic disease. Um, and I think Chinese medicine would agree, you know, is that, you know, um, they would agree and say, you, you know, you want to allow yourself to experience stuff fully and then then you can actually move through it. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so I know we haven't we haven't touched on it yet, but let's sure. let's go over the the shamanic healing. Oh yeah, and yeah, the, for sure, man. The ozone and the temperature stress therapy that you. Yeah, did. yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think another modality I forgot to even say, dude, I, I should honestly have written this down, you know. And so maybe we could make a list for of all the modalities that were helpful. But weight training really helped me towards the end. I mean, mm -hmm. that I feel like that got me the final. 10, 15% there was weight training, uh, like vigorous working out. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, temperature stress training, I find to just be super helpful. I'm a big fan of cold plunging. It's very popular right now. You got on Instagram, all the influencers are all jumping in ice baths and stuff. Um, yeah. I particularly think that he's stress training, you know, but you have to ease in with all this stuff. So, um, whether it be sauna, I'm a big fan of, of, you know, traditional sauna, I think there's incredible data um, that shows what it does, you know, for your recovery, your heat shock proteins, your white blood cells, uh, brain chemicals that often, you know, you have a hard time when you have Lyme, you know, if there's depression. Um, so, you know, there's just, there's too many, we could do a whole podcast on just any one of these therapies, whether it's weightlifting, cold, I agree. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, I find those, my body personally responds really, really well. If, you know, if I can weight train, um, three or four days a week and then do, uh, some cold temperature exposure in the morning. Um, and then do some, uh, three or four days a week and then do some sauna after I weight train. I mean, that's the perfect schedule. Uh, the last eight years I've been utterly obsessed with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So I spend all my free time on the mats trying to, you know, not get choked by my friends. Um, but, uh, <laughs> if, you know, if really, if I was going to train for health, I would do, you know, weight training and then temperature stress training. And, and so I've, I found like, I, I felt those were very helpful, you know, specifically the weight training um, and then the shamanic healing, you know, and so I guess I could lump that in with, you know, working with Jane at Hearthstone, uh, shamanic healing, you know, this is more like working on the spirit, the emotions. And I, and like we're talking about when we're working with Lyme, you want to 
clean up your diet. You want to get your sleep right. Um, you know, you want to do, you know, I, I guess tetracycline antibiotics is, is a good idea for a lot of people, I think, uh, whether it be other, for me, it was uh, other modalities, acupuncture and lasers, you know, were really huge. Um, rife machines were helpful. Herbs were very helpful. Um, but I think it's also really important to address emotions. So whether that be um, some kind of ceremonial stuff, like sweat lodges, counseling, just traditional counseling. Uh, for me, it was shamanic, this kind of shamanic healing, you know, whether it be an ayahuasca ceremony. I don't know when I aligned, if I could have gone, I have a friend that runs an ayahuasca retreat or did at one point. I don't know if I could have physically done it, um, but I know some people that are sick will do, but do that. But I think that's one area that gets very neglected is that, you know, we've got this whole list of stuff. Like I'm going to eat clean. I'm going to get my acupuncture. I'm going to go get my laser sessions, take my antibiotics, take my herbs. Um, but we need to address the spirit. And so that was another very important part for me was, um, addressing the spirit and what I would call trapped emotions in the body, um, that will go back to childhood, uh, being really sensitive kid. I think what drove me towards, uh, reckless and wild behavior living in the party zone, you know, cause I was kind of, you know, staying uh, more up here, not dropping in cause I didn't want to feel what was uncomfortable, but then, you know, Lyme, you get so confronted or anything like Lyme, if you're really going to heal, you get so confronted with all the stuff you're running from because you've got to address that too. So that was where the shamanic healing really helped me. And um, yeah, this was with a group of probably eight uh, healers that, that were around Virginia. They came, it was actually at Hearthstone school at the healing center. And um, it was one of the healing sessions where uh, nobody showed up except for me. So then all the healers worked on me for about four hours. Um, I mean, oh it was going craziest experience of my life. I mean, I couldn't move my body at times. I'm just wow. completely paralyzed. There was, um, I mean, it was just, it was just super epic. So, you know, I think, um, you know, that was, you know, kind of the intro to spiritual healing for me, you know, I think whether it's, if, you know, through your church, you know, working with, um, your Bible study group, I think if, you know, you're interested in pursuing, you know, indigenous, um, uh, spiritual healing, you know, whether it be, I'm extremely fortunate to have a friend who's a, Native American out here in Idaho that does sweat lodges, um, you know, whether it be going down to the indigenous folks that down South Central and South America that do the ayahuasca, um, whether it be a prayer group. I think there's so many ways to access it. So it's, it doesn't have to be shamanic healing. It doesn't have to be any one of these things, but I think it's just, it's a absolute necessity um, in true deep healing is to uh, address the spirit and the emotions. Yeah, man, I'm just, I'm just blown away because I have done so much, so many hours, hundreds of hours of research. I thought I've known everything that people try and have done. I know what ayahuasca is. I know that, you know, how that can help and people have done that in this, but man, there's always something about when you, when you talk to other people, there's things that I learned that I'd never even heard before. And so that's so cool. I hear you talk about some of these experiences with, with something. I, I want to go look up these things right now. I'm sure people are sitting yeah. on their phones, looking all this up, right. They're about to look it up or writing it down and seeing if there's anyone local near them. And you know, how yeah. does someone go about finding someone like that? Oh my you know, God, man. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not like you just look these people up on Google. Um, that's, you know, it's, it's, uh, and, and so, and that's why it's so important. We say, you know, there's many paths to healing. And so, um, but you know, 
I think, yeah, just to address the spirit and the emotions. And so, gosh, there's a variety of, of therapies, you know, I'd recommend starting with maybe gestalt therapy, uh, tapping, breath work. Oh, there's an amazing group here in Boise called uh, Exhale Boise, where they do somatic breath work. And this is a way to get emotions out of your body. You'd be amazed at some of these guys' events. I mean, these big, strong, tatted up dudes um, are just balling and they're not expecting that to happen. Mm-hmm. They do these breathing exercises and then all this stuff comes out. So there's, there's more than one way to, um, start to clean out what, to, you know, to let go of some of what we're all holding. You know, we all go through life as sense, you know, it's sensitive beings at one point when you're a kid, for sure, you're open, you take on, you know, stuff. And so it's, it's good to, to clean out the, the tank, I think. And, and so, yeah, I would, I would start probably the simplest ways to do it would be, um, maybe, some sort of gestalt therapy or therapy, uh, see if there's some somatic breath work around. Um, you know, if you have connections in a, in a, uh, more indigenous community, you know, look into some kind of sweat lodge. Um, if you have, if you're really brave and you want to go down and do an ayahuasca ceremony, make sure, you know, you're with really good people. Um, right. and if you're super fortunate, like I was, which was by no, nothing other than dumb luck to just have these people, put in my path um you can you know explore some kind of shamanic healing um and it just just you know i would say maybe if you google it and you just if someone pops up with a real flashy website it's like oh yeah shamanic healing one thousand dollars an hour you know be careful there there are hustlers out there you know this was mm-hmm. free you know and so there's a lot of incredible light workers out there that are just working on and helping people for the right reasons and then there's folks that are doing it um out of a business, of course, you know, my business is acupuncture business. We have to make money. There's, it's an energetic exchange. So it's normal to pay or bring something, you know, in, in trade, if you go to a sweat lodge or pay your acupuncturist or pay your therapist. But there's also, I think, um, predatory groups out there that will, you know, charge exorbitant amounts of money claiming to have some answers. So, you know, I do encourage you to do your research and don't just buy the first thing you see, but, um, this is probably the most difficult, uh, section. If we were to break it down sections like diet, acupuncture herbs you know ozone exercise you know the the spiritual healing is probably the most challenging one to like you know really find because it's not going to be the same as it would be for me for you if that makes sense oh i totally agree on that and i think yeah. from even for you know speaking from um you know a, a men's mental health standpoint i'm a huge advocate for for men uh speaking out and and t- telling about their struggles i think we've really done a poor job as a society uh, of allowing men to express their emotions. And I've personally lost friends to suicide yeah. who, you know, I didn't see coming. Um, I, I was in, I had a short stint in the air force. And so actually one of the things that shocked me is seeing all these young, you know, uh, young bucks running around, uh, in, in, uh, basic training and being so, you know, fragile that I've, I've never seen so many grown men crying before like I, I i don't even though i don't even think before basic training i had really even seen many a guy crying in my life you know before i was 18 so it's incredible what men can bottle up inside and it's unfortunate that you know there's not enough there's there's not enough awareness around it because i think that the world would be you know a little bit more peaceful and we could heal collectively if sure. uh, if, if if men if that stigma weren't out there so much and so that's why, you know, it's hard to talk about it uh, myself, and I'm sure it's been difficult for you in certain situations. But, uh, you know, just to any, to any of the fellows out there, um, you know, people, we go through it. We all go through it. Um, some of us, some of us uh, buried in better than others, but don't bury in. 
Um, yeah. You know, that's what, oh, absolutely. People. That's, that is so awesome. It's so important. Um, and I think, you know, if you read uh, writers like Yuval Harari wrote Sapiens or different evolutionary biologists, um, what we have going on, a great book that I really love is called Tribe by Sebastian Younger. You know, there's these different themes across these these really intelligent people that put these books together that, that talk about trauma. Um, and, uh, you know, if we look at what, where we evolved from, we were in uh, tribal societies, groups of 20 to 50 people, I think is roughly the idea, maybe a little bit more. Um, and, you know, trauma was shared collectively with the group. I mean, it was probably pretty traumatic. The human being has incredible capacity to deal with trauma. Think about it. You're out in the woods. It's cold. There's no food. You're fighting other dudes with hatchets. I mean, you're getting, getting down. Um, but then you come back to the tribe and everyone grieves together. Um, and so now we're, mm -hmm. you know, we're in this society where, um, you know, there is no reintegration process. You go through life, you take your licks, you know, some thank you for your service, man. That's super awesome. Guys like you go and serve, they see horrific shit and they just have to reintegrate back into society. I think it's, is it Hurt Locker? There's a great um, scene mm -hmm. in Hurt Locker where it's like the dudes in the mm -hmm. grocery store just like, what the fuck? After being in, in the desert, you know. Yep fighting and now he's back and so there's there's no um yeah so we need to you know really reintegrate um you know in a way that allows you to process what you've been through and and i think this this is you know not just vets just first responders or just anybody that makes it on the street because life is crazy you know and so um yeah it, that is something that our society is is really missing that i think um previous you know groups that were doing really hardcore shit um would then come back and grieve together and heal together um, rather than yeah. just jumping right back into like, all right, I'm the man, I got to pay the mortgage and I keep going. And then we just get this compounded trauma. And this is not just men, this is women too. It's just like, Oh, something horrible happened, but just, you know, we, it's a busy, fast paced consumer lifestyle. We're all in, we got to get up and go every day. Um, and there's not that time and space and the attention given to unpacking that. And Chinese medicine is very clear. That will make you sick unprocessed emotions will make you sick and it's a two-way street devastating sickness like lyme is an opportunity to you know unpack it um it's a call to do so and you know depending on your spiritual beliefs i mean yeah it's it's an opportunity and a call uh and maybe a forced you know um in some ways uh you know time of of really uh cleaning yourself up you know it's 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 you can look at it that way i think yeah, so, and I I work in social media marketing, digital marketing, and so I understand the psychology behind the algorithms of these platforms and what what they how they operate, how they suck you in. And so right now we're really experiencing a, uh, an, a, an epidemic of loneliness throughout our culture. For and sure. That is so we were loneliness will kill you faster than almost any other vice that you could ever have if you're not lonely. It is, yeah. from what I've heard, you know, you, you're actually more, it's better for your health to go out with the boys and have a couple beers at a sports bar totally once or twice a week than it is to shut yourself in and, totally. you know, not do any alcohol because yeah. it's, an, it's, it's so crucial. We are tribal we are creatures. As, yeah. And so, man, we're, <laughs> we were meant to be on this call together. This is, this is awesome. Yeah. And we so, saw that uh, during the during the uh, pandemic, you know, with the, the effects of uh, the lockdowns mm -hmm. and, you know, how devastating that was for so many people and how devastating that is for your immune system to shelter. And, but, you know, not to go off on a wild tangent, but um, uh, yeah, so 
That's right. I think I tell this to my patients all the time. Have fun. You got to, you know, don't worry. If you have some wine, you know, you're walking a, a straight narrow path, you know, once you can, um, if your body won't just absolutely freak out, of course, we have to, you know, recognize where you are. There's there's a time and a place for walking a very narrow path. And, and mm -hmm. But then if, once you get a little wiggle room, um, yeah, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, you going out, but you hold it in balance, you know, and that's what healing Lyme is really about is, you know, is about, um, you know, finding balance in your life and, and i'm just yeah and, and so i didn't know if you had other modalities you want to talk about i feel like we've talked about so many modalities i think it might be helpful i was just feeling called to if you guys want and you're running the podcast so just tell me if this sounds like a good idea just to kind of lay out all the modalities in a hierarchy of for me of order of most important maybe where to start because i think a lot of people when you have lime it's like i don't know where the fuck to start like what do we even do so mm -hmm. maybe we could uh, give some recommendations about at least you know for me, what was helpful and what those modalities are. Um, would that be good? What do you think, Rich? Take it away. All right, take it away. Let's, let's hear like kind of your, 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 it's good to have structure, right? It's good to have a process, yeah. stages, like have a plan, be strategic. Totally. So let's hear that. Okay. Well, let's start with the easiest and we can, and let's make it a conversation. I want to, you know, you guys have, you've walked the same path, but I think first step is diet. This is, this is, you know, we, you can do that right away. First step is diet. So, um, get caffeine, alcohol, nicotine, you know, what goes in your body drugs, you got to get clean. You got to, you know, eat clean. Mm -hmm. So organic, you know, uh, folic acid, pesticides, GMO foods, you know, and so this, we could do a whole podcast just on this, but you know, just in a nutshell, do a whole foods diet. Does it come from an animal or a plant? That's it. So, you know, meat, fruit, nuts, veggies, organic, you know, all organic. And then for grains, um, you know, I'm not a fan of gluten when you have lime. I think, you know, white rice, organic white rice. Mm -hmm. You could do some oats if you want. If you're not, you're worried about phytic acid. Some of my teachers would, would totally die if I said eat, eat oats because there are nutrient blocking phyto acids. So I think the perfect carbs is really white rice and fruit. And that's it. Uh, but, you know, if you want to eat. I oats, did organic oats. I did organic, yeah, organic oats, oats organic okay, gluten-free yeah. oats. I believe sure, have that's, that. yep, that's good. And then, you know, the whole spectrum of fruits, vegetables, um, meats, um, healthy fats, you know, and then if you're going to do dairy, I think you need to do raw dairy, you know, processed dairy, you've lost all the enzymes. Um, so it's a totally different uh, thing, you know, so, you know, but not, you know, if you want to do some raw dairy, I think that's great. I personally am a believer that um, saturated fats are not bad. That And we actually know there's data out of, Berkeley and Stanford that dietary cholesterol is not what's jacking up your cholesterol. It's actually sugar destroying your gut biome, which is causing leaky gut, which is then mm -hmm. causing endotoxins that are okay to be in your intestines, but not okay to be in your bloodstream to dock on the LDL docking site. So, you know, people are like, oh, can I eat butter? I think that's way better than vegetable oil. Seed oils, get them out. Canola oil, peanut oil, all that stuff, you know, totally inflammatory. So really rather than focusing on like what you can't have, it's a lot more simple if you just say what you can have. Everything organic, all fruits, all veggies, all meats, all animal products, as raw as possible, you know, as, as uh, unprocessed as possible. And then organic, clean grains like white rice, gluten-free oats, um, and then just cut everything else out. And it sounds crazy, but once you, once I started eating that way, it was, it was great. I love it. I look forward to it. You know, you mm -hmm. spice your food up all nice. And then, you know, you feel so much better. So that's one is diet. Um, I think your water source is super important, you know, so to have a good source of water, whether it's remineralized, uh, reverse osmosis water, spring water, um, just do the best you can. I think with that, you know, obviously some of those filtration systems are super expensive, but you don't 
probably want to be drinking tap water because you're getting antidepressants, birth control, antibiotics, you know, so all of these things, if it's like a scale is one little weight on the scale. So we clean up the diet, you know, less toxins from the water. That's good. Um, then I would say, uh, get your sleep. Sleep is super essential. You have to go to sleep on time. So prioritize sleep, no screens, no blue light in your eyes, you know, make your room super dark, make it cold, absolutely prioritize your sleep. So if you get clean water, a good diet and enough sleep, and then you add in a gentle, super gentle exercise routine. Um, you know, all this is, is basically free. You can do it. You don't have to consult anybody to do it. Try to exercise three days a week, a little bit of cardio and a little bit of resistance, specifically the resistance. Can training. I stop you and back you know, up one, yeah. one moment there? From, yeah, and go back to the sleep. Yeah. Because I believe that sleep is absolutely one of the most crucial points of healing and it, not, not just healing, but also, uh, surviving and living a good life and, and feeling good. Um, oh, essential, man. Essential. How, what do you, do you, did you do any, is there any, so I had bad insomnia as part of my symptoms right away. I had a lot of psychological yeah. issues with that. Did you, I, I was, you know, I had to cave and take some prescription drugs for a while just to be able to get that sleep. I mean, I, I didn't want to be on them. You know, melatonin helped me. Is there anything that you recommend as far as sleep? Yeah. I know you that's know, a big I issue take for a lot of people. As well. Yeah, I was taking melatonin. You know, I, I think it's all relative. And so, you know, melatonin is a hormone. Do we want to take exogenous hormones long term? Probably not. But um, yeah, I would say go to an herbalist, you know, get some herbs. Herbs is the best mm -hmm. recommendation because that, you know, herbs are very low consequence, very user friendly. Um, you know, if, if you can't find a good herbalist, uh, and I think most people in most places should know a good herbalist. There There's tons out there. They could be an acupuncturist or just an herbalist standalone. But usually acupuncturists are also herbalists together. Um, or so you could start with looking for acupuncturists and then just Google, is there an herbalist around me? So I think that's the best place to start, but dude, it's, it's do what you gotta do. I mean, if you gotta take melatonin or Ambien or whatever, um, if you don't sleep and it's super normal for your sleep to be very interrupted when you have a pathogen like Lyme, um, oh, yeah. it's so hard to heal. So that's just it, like, it's just it's almost impossible. Yep. And you just do what you yep. gotta do. And so, you know, start with herbs you know, and then go up from there, you know, whether it be exogenous hormones, maybe there's some peptides. If the FDA doesn't make those illegal tomorrow, um, you know, I'd recommend starting with that. And then, you know, you've got obviously your pharmaceutical prescription um, sleep aids like uh, Ambien, something like that. So okay, uh, well, let, me, let me let me rejoin. And, and just before we before we leave this this one space. Right. And I, I want to um, revisit uh, Dr. Bill Rawls. Right. You guys have mentioned him a couple of times today. And one of the things Dr. Rawls has argued uh, both on this podcast, he's been on this podcast, I think, four times uh, mm -hmm. and in his books, is that Lyme disease is essentially the pot boiling over, right? You're becoming toxic and the, and the pot is boiling over. One of the themes mm -hmm. that you two seem to be de uh, uh, developing here is that, you know, there are many things that we do to contribute to this pot boiling over. And we find ourselves in a position where the pot has boiled over. One of the first things we have to do is we have to identify what are the things that we're doing that are causing the, you know, the, this toxic pot, or what are we adding to it? And, and we can, we can now go back and get to the basics, right? And one of the basics that you two have just developed is uh, our diet, right? And what yep. is it that we're eating and how is that contributing to our toxic pot? 
The other thing you were talking about is 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 the fluids that we're intaking, and how is that adding to the toxic pot? And then you started to talk about sleep. And sleep is important on a number of different levels. But of course, we we understand that the only way that our brain detoxes is when we're sleeping. And totally. then, of course, movement is important for detoxification as well. So I'd like both of you to sort of react to what I was observing about this conversation, where we we have this 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 pot that's boiled over, and how we can now begin to first take pieces out of this pot that we're contributing and then ultimately help our body to detox by making sure that we're sleeping and making sure that we're getting movement. And that that's exactly right. I couldn't agree with that more. And that's your foundation. You know, what you eat, what you drink, do you sleep, do you move and hopefully sweat a little bit when you move. Um, and I know when people are really sick, you know, it's, it might just be five minutes, but just starting. And that for me was so helpful. So that's your foundation. And, and to be honest, if you are doing those things, um, you're ahead of 90% of the U.S. population. Um, and, you know, this is this is a lifelong change and it's it's hard. And so you don't want to just yank the rug all at once. You know, I like to take, you know, each week we just focus on one thing. Okay, this week we're going to try and clean up the food. Next week, let's look into water filters. Week after that, let's try and work on the sleep. You don't want to get overwhelmed. We want this to be an organic shift. But, yeah, that's so right is, you know, not put anything else in your pot. You're not standing in your own way. If you can, uh, you know, detox a little bit and not, add to the problems, your body is a lot more likely to be able to rebalance itself. Um, so just really not screwing ourselves over is such an important part of life, right? Um, yeah, and so that's your foundation. What I find is fascinating is that the body will tell you, like your skin and the way you sweat and the way you smell will oh, tell you sure. your health. So if your skin isn't clear, if you've got you know a lot of, lot of uh, blemishes and things like that, and then, and when you sweat, there's a, just a really, like, I understand we all get smelly at times, but there's times where you, when you sweat, you stink worse than other times. Oh, and yeah. those times when you stink really bad, that's because your body is expelling things that it cannot process. And so it's coming Absolutely. up through your pores. And so yeah. the skin is so important with the healing too. It just, for me, it was Epsom salt baths were a, a godsend. In fact, I'm going to do one after this. I, I, yeah. uh, I have a, I have a Dr. Teal's Epsom salt. It's got uh, melatonin in it with um, lavender and it's so relaxing. I know that sounds, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of guys are like, oh, you just take baths with Epsom salt. Well, yeah, it feels great. I don't have a hot tub and uh, that Epsom salt soaks in, gets magnesium into your body and we're so deficient on magnesium in society. And so you can't get enough of it. It seems like so. Oh, Absolutely. of course. Man. Detoxing was number one thing for me to to purge out and feel better. I would feel so much better almost immediately after doing some of these detox strategies. Um, lemon water, sweating, infrared sauna. Um, totally. Those were crucial for me. So, yeah. And I think that's the next tier that we could go to. And, you know, you've got your foundation diet, um, you know, uh, food, water, sleep, and then some exercise. And then we can start, you know, once you have that solid, start bringing in these modalities like you like you might have mentioned um red light therapy or you know sauna all these different things and start working on the detoxing but if you're pouring in a bunch of poison you better stop that first before you go and detox and and yeah just a note on the epsom salts with lavender manly thing you know i think to be a man that takes uh epsom salts bath with lavender and cries you know we could actually cry in the bath i would invite any man that does <laughs> things that were my therapy, to just, my therapy just come, session yeah come meet us on the jiu-jitsu mat so we can find out you know how how what they had to say after that you know i think it's, <laughs> you can own that 
you know, and uh, yeah. And so that's great. And I encourage, you know, all that. And um, yeah. So, oh yeah, I like so, the candles, uh, yeah. man. It's a good time. I, I cool. enjoy yeah. it. Like it's my well, little getaway secure, time. Dude. Good. Yeah. The world's uh, chaotic around me. It's my one little escape where I can just lay there for a while. and just not have to think about, uh, you know, anything going on around me. I kind of meditate a little bit. And so it's been a, Oh my God, I can't even, my, my wife, she's the same way. She takes a bath almost every night. And so we're both kind of in sync with, with that type of, uh, with that type of, uh, uh, system. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. So, so then, so just for me personally, and to not to talk about all the modalities that are super fun, we could talk about, but just, uh, you know, for me, it was clean up diet, get good water, get some sleep, get a little bit of exercise. Then from there, um, the tetracycline antibiotics were extremely helpful. So I would, you know, say, don't be afraid of antibiotics. I mean, they could save your life. I feel like they saved mine at one point. Um, uh, I think, uh, and it was antibiotics, acupuncture, you know, there's something that most people can have access to, uh, these Mark five lasers, which we'll put some descriptions down in the show notes that you could, they could find hopefully a practitioner with those lasers, rife machines, specifically the pearl rife machine. Um, and then working on the emotions, you know, for me, it was this shamanic healing, um, but whether it be breath work or, or whatever else, um, and then, you know, you could add in, uh, for, for me, it's, you know, cold and hot therapy. I think that would be in the same category of red light, you know, all these detoxification um, therapies as well. So that's pretty much the, if I'm not forgetting anything, that's pretty much the whole gamut of modalities that I used that helped to bring me back. And each one was extremely important. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about the emotional and the spiritual healing, because you and I are now about to, uh, Jacob take the step to talk about your transformation and your spiritual transformation, right? Okay. But talk to us a little bit more about um, how you didn't just focus on your body, which you've sort of given us with this detox element, but talk to us a little bit more about the emotional and the spiritual. And I want you to talk about the connection between the two, right? Because you and I started to touch upon, uh, you know, the energetic nature of who we are, right? We talked about, we talked about um, how, um, uh, your, your, uh, your, your now profession, uh, your, your training was something that caused you not to just use, you know, uh, allopathic and medical terms to describe what's happening, but also the chi and, you know, and, and the spirit. But, uh, so, so help me out with this, uh, talk to us about, uh, you know, the vibrational nature of who we are. Talk to us about, um, about how our neural pathways and our neural networks, uh, are, are, are built based on our past experiences and how we have to deal with retraining our brain so that we can both uh, emit and receive um, healthy vibration um, so that we can heal. Sure. Well, yeah, that's, that's awesome. You're really setting me up. That's a nice tee off to just, uh, I think, I think you've, uh, within the, the that, that statement, there's so much truth there. And I'll just build on it a little bit. I think Einstein says it very clearly. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. It just transfers. Um, I think if we look at, it's about, I think, 28 days. If you do something 28 days in a row, you actually create a neural pathway. Um, and so, you know, if, if we go through a super traumatic experience uh, that goes on for a month, um, you know, we've, we've created, we're in this mode of operation and there's these great studies uh i think it's dr J uh, amoto's japanese guy did these studies where they wrote down on a piece of paper uh in japan different words and then they had this special freezer and they would flash freeze it have you have you heard of the study i haven't and they would look at the pattern so words like 
uh, pain, anger, torture, these sort of things were these gnarly Swiss cheese patterns. And then words like forgiveness, redemption, love, light, healing, um, or these beautiful snowflake patterns. And so the point of the study was to capture, uh, see if we could capture the charge, the energetic vibration of words. So, you know, um, imagine you, you go through a traumatic experience that lasts for a year, for example, like someone who goes through chronic Lyme. And so we've got this strong neural groove, this mode of operation of like, I'm sick, this is shitty, you know, whatever it may be. Um, we're carrying that, you're holding that, you know, you're holding that vibration. We're 79% water. So that is having a physiological effect. So that, um, you know, those emotions are, are rippling out into your, uh, into your physical body. Um, and then we can also look at, you know, trauma of the past, which we all go through. I mean, I don't know anybody that's walked through life. I mean, some of my spiritual teachers would say we come here, you know, to get beat up on purpose, you know, as part of the learning experience. Uh, but then, you know, it's important that we, that we clear that we don't just hold all that trauma um, because then, you know, your the energetics, literally the energetics, the vibration, you know, of, of your, um, of you uh, is going to show up in your body. And, and, you know, that's kind of like the, you know, the expression of a physical symptom, it, it, it's a symptom of a deeper energetic imbalance. So I think going back, clearing uh, trauma, creating new neural pathways, you know, changing the story that we tell ourselves, like, you know, I'm sick, I'm weak, you know, I'm fucked, I'm going to die, whatever it may be. These are all things that were in my mind, you know, um, to I am strong, I have trust, you know, I trust my body, um, I'm going to get through this, um, you know, combined with actual like real deal, legit, um, whether it be breath work or shamanic healing that can actually really dump the stuff out of you. And it can be kind of jarring when it happens. You know, a lot of people don't realize what they're holding, um, is very transformative, you know, for you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it's all connected. Um, you know, the energetics, the, the vibration, uh, connects it all. Um, if that makes sense, hopefully that's articulated in a way that our viewers can, digest that's just how i see it yeah so uh and so let's let's build out a little bit more you talked about the this this physical foundation that you're building where yep. you're not adding to your toxic bucket you talked talked about how you have to take steps to learn how to physically detox but i want right. to talk to us more about now how do you how do you emotionally and and spiritually detox and how that took you to your career path where you began to now study what you you've you've now begun to study get bring that bring us to that how that sure how that that second or third level uh um of understanding of the uh of the impact that the trauma has had on you brought you to where you are today where you're now helping people to understand that it's not enough to physically um uh heal you must emotionally and spiritually heal if you're going to get through this journey absolutely and it's an ongoing process you know and um really it, it you know, we just have to understand, you know, Lyme is just a, just a, one of the things that needs to be healed. It's not like I need to heal my emotional trauma. So, you know, so I can heal my, my Lyme. It's more like, um, the Lyme is, is providing this opportunity to go back and clear whatever I was holding that brought the Lyme in and also clear all the other shit too, all the way back, you know, and it's an ongoing process. I don't think you actually just, it's not like you just get there. Um, if ever, you know, unless you hit enlightenment, just, you know, go off, but, no, yeah. but let's, let's, hit, yeah. let's, let's talk about that a little bit, Jacob, because, sure. because you're right. I, I, isn't it really, 
the 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 uh, neurological pathways which are which are defining your emotional and spiritual uh, relationships that actually make you vulnerable to the disease, oh, and totally. as a result of that vulnerability, that's why you become chronically ill. So you are in fact going to have to focus on these, um, you know, the your, your neurology if you're going to ultimately be successful in healing the line, but that is again, the opportunity to now go back and continue to work on all of these issues so that you can be, um, you know, a, can be um, healthy and happy uh, as you, as you go on this journey. Totally, man. And that's exactly right. That's, that's so well said. I, you know, I couldn't put it better myself. I, you, that's it. Um, and so just for me personally, uh, it was about forgiveness, um, about letting go, uh, forgiveness of myself, you know, forgiving yourself is much harder than forgiving other people. Um, and so, yeah, you know, one of my favorite teachers and guys, he always asked me, is like, what are you holding? You know, and it's just, it's a great way you can you check and you think, well, what am I holding? You can think about it and feel it. And, um, so for me, that was really, really big, uh, was moving through, forgiveness, um, guilt, anger, um, sadness, you know, a variety of, of different things. And, and it's an ongoing process, but yeah, Lyme really, uh, just, just, uh, blew the top off of things and, and really opened the dam. And, and so, you know, through that process of, of healing, uh, my body and emotions and spirit, um, I just became more and more connected to Chinese medicine and just found it to be such a helpful, refreshing and useful lens, you know, this lens of energetics of viewing the world, understanding all kinds of things like, you know, the energetics of, uh, human interactions, um, the energetics of the body, you know, there's different times a day, according to Chinese medicine, that's better for exercise. It's better for sexual activity, better for rest. And so I just followed it to a T and it was very noticeable when I, when I lived um, in a way that aligned with their advice, it, it, you know, with this energetic advice, it felt really, really good. So from there I, I went to school and, you know, that was where a lot of great personal healing came to me. I feel like once I got into the clinic, um, you know, you heal yourself by healing others. And I see this time and time again, in the clinic is that these people that come for acupuncture are just these unbelievable souls. I mean, just incredible. And it's such a huge honor just to witness them. And it's so obvious to me that they are doing their work and it's guiding them towards a higher purpose, you know? And, and so is, I think the healing process for the patient and the practitioner, no matter, and no matter where you are in your journey, whether you're a patient, and going to be a practitioner later, you're already a practitioner or you're, you know, you're just starting to be a patient. You know, I think it's ongoing no matter where you are along that spectrum. So you, you came to understand a couple of things, right? The first thing is that you, your toxic bucket had overflown and you had to make sure that uh, you, you helped to clean it up. You also came to understand that neurologically um, it had overflown as well, right? And one, one of the things we have sure. to talk about is how we pile on traumas, right? And how our traumas boil over and how now Lyme sort of becomes the cherry on top of the cake. But it's not just traumas, right? I mean, let, let's talk about brain development, right? Because um, I, you know, we we like to focus on 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 these tragic events and define them as traumas and define them as um, creating neural pathways that are not serving us. But as it turns out, um, you know, uh, our neural pathways uh, are being developed 
during our childhood. The first seven years of our lives, we're literally absorbing everything in, and we may or may not be we we may or may not be um, properly interpreting. But we then have these neural pathways that develop that are not serving us. Then between the ages of 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 seven and thirteen. We are continuing to absorb more and more of these, um, you know, the, 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 this information that our senses is, is bringing to us, um, and we may or may not be interpreting that properly, and they again may create more pathways that are not um, that are not serving us. And then between the age of thirteen and twenty-five, we're now more aware. We are now certainly blocking out some of what's coming into our brain. But then we have this whole neurology that is built, these whole set of pathways that are not necessarily um, serving us, and it makes us vulnerable emotionally and spiritually to a, you know, a, a, um, a disease like Lyme disease. And that becomes a cherry on top of the cake where our, we have even more neurological um, uh, pathways that are not serving us because our, our, the, the response to this disease. So talk about how it's important to be aware of that and important to understand the importance of, of dealing with the neurological bucket in the spiritual bucket so we can put ourselves in a, in a position where we can now heal. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you said it, man. I mean, I don't know what else I can say. It's, it's, it's unbelievably important. And I think something that a disease like Lyme will do is that it will break you down to rock bottom where, you know, for a lot of people, I think they just think, okay, I, I need to seek emotional and spiritual help because I don't know what else to do. Um, it, it's almost a move out of desperation it, it, where in reality, in actuality, that's exactly what they should be doing. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just, I think you said it perfectly. It's, it's of the utmost importance. Um, and, you know, it's really a lot to juggle because when you're sick, you're not feeling good. Um, literally, you know, we, we use the word neurological. I mean, there's neurological symptoms where people are having a hard time. They can't remember. They can't hold too much in their minds. Um, and so you just find somewhere to start, whether it be someone to talk to, um, whatever, whatever it may be. But yeah, I would put that in the category as as important as the physical, which needs to be addressed. And we, and we have people on both sides. Some people say, okay, I'm really sick or I have a huge bullseye on my shoulder after I got bit by a tick. I'm going to go to a Reiki practitioner. Uh, that's great. But also <laughs> go to a Lyme literate doctor, you know, get uh, address both sides. And then the other side of that would be probably the average tough guy like we we're talking about earlier where it's like okay i'm just going to take the antibiotics and and ignore everything else whereas really lime you're confronted with a disease that that forces you to just um do hit it from all fronts and and that can be hard it can be overwhelming uh, but you gotta start somewhere and, and for the folks listening i would just say um there's no better time than now even if it seems overwhelming um you won't regret it you know okay. reaching out to somebody reaching out for help so you have two more pieces here. So you so you now become a practitioner, right? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. you become a practitioner. It does two things for you. It, it it talk to us more about how acupuncture now helps people with the spiritual and the emotional elements of healing. Yeah, yeah, and and just to say, you know, if, if people are thinking, oh God, where would I even start with this? I think going to an acupuncturist is a great place to start. You know, if, if you don't want to go, you know. I, would it be therapy? I mean, my sister's a therapist, so I, I don't want to say acupuncture is better than therapy for this, but I do think that acupuncture, you can move a lot of energy really quickly. Um, and so uh, I think it's great. I would say do some therapy, 
and get some acupuncture just because I don't want to hand out my sister to come kick my butt. But uh, yeah, so that's a great place to start for this um, and, and how acupuncture can help. Well, there's a, there's whole protocols. Actually, amazingly enough, the the VA, the Veterans Association, uses uh, auricular, auricular meaning ear uh, uh, therapy, acupuncture to treat veterans. So there's something called the NADA protocol. There's a whole series of uh, ghost treatments, some clearing treatments that you can do, um, uh, treatments that will bring stuff up to the surface. I mean, you would be blown away at how many people all place these uh, clearing treatments. Some of them, I mean, the, the true translation would be depossession treatment, but we're, you know, we're not actually talking about possession in the sense of like angels and demons, even though I think there is, you know, a space where that exists, but um, you know, just carrying stuff that's not yours. You know, you go into a room, you feel the vibe, you just walk out and be like, Oh, what is this stuff? I mean, you, you go, uh, a great example would be going to prison, you know, guys that go into prison, they come out after six months and they're carrying a bunch of stuff, energy that's not there. So I think these deep possession treatments are extraordinarily powerful and, and you'd be amazed. I mean, they, as soon as needles go in, people are just crying I mean, tears just bursting forward and they say, oh my God, they always apologize. They, I have no idea what's happening. It's almost can be overwhelming. And so I actually just warn people now I just say, Hey, you know, you're probably going to feel some emotions and, you know, let it out. You know, some people are like, self-conscious of it and they're trying to choke it back um and probably say no no you got you know let it go and this is um very common and, and specifically the category of acupuncturists that really operate in this realm are called five element acupuncturists there's a school in maryland um that is a five element school that i'm familiar with i'm not sure if there's too many other ones i'm sure there's more than one in the country but um there's a real hotbed of five element practitioners around dc virginia maryland area um and uh yeah so so hopefully that answers your question yeah i, I want to talk about one last thing I, I could keep both of you guys all night but you've been very kind to give us a lot of time and i do think we're gonna to have to reassemble and maybe do uh, do some podcasts in the future we're focusing on particular topics uh but with, with with that general uh invitation without asking for your commitment i'd like to talk about one one last thing that you, sure. you guys touched upon which is, uh, which is, um, you started talking about the tribal nature of humans, right? And I want to, I want to, I want to visit that in the context of emotional and spiritual healing, right? Because, uh, because, in my view, we've been created by God to serve. That's our primary purpose, right? And when we're isolated, two things are happening. The first is we have this emotional response that has been built into us from an evolutionary standpoint, because we were isolated, we die. So we know that if we don't have, if we're not a part of the tribe, if we've been excluded from the tribe, we die. So emotionally, we cannot be healthy. But I'd argue also, Jacob, that you cannot be spiritually healthy if you're not a part of a tribe because we are made to serve. And if we're by ourselves, we can't serve other people. So talk to us about how you, Jacob, became more healthy when you when you found your tribe, both emotionally and physically, emotionally as a result of feeling safer by being a part of the group and dealing with those, uh, you know, those evolutionary feelings that have developed and how, how you began to heal um, spiritually by being able to serve other people. Yeah. Well, that, that's great, man. I mean, I remember when I was uh, starting to have to step away from my group of about 50 party friends out of necessity, because I was so sick. 
Um, and then I was talking to my buddy, Tim, my acupuncturist during one treatment. And he said, Hey man, on this side of the fence, it's a little bit more lonely. You know, if you're on, you know, on the healthy side of the fence, you're not going to be surrounded by, you know, 45 or 50 guys, you know, every weekend, like you once were, but what happened to me through that evolution was actually linking up and being around people that really actually cared about me. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a rough process because so many of us, you know, we just see it today culturally, um, you know, we have, there's a lot of fair weather friends, social media friends. When you go through something really hard, then you, you know, you're broken down to rock, rock bottom. And then you see who really is, is left standing there. And it's usually a very small group of people, you know, and then from there you go and at least for me, I should say from there, I went and started to slowly organically, um, create and form connections and friendships that were that were real um with you know people and of course my brothers from back in the day were still there for me but they were off partying doing their thing so the connection and the tribe that i ended up um being fortunate enough to have around me were was built out of um healthy shared experience and it, it was a lot more real and so that was a huge part of the healing and and i think the second part of your question was you know how healing others was that yeah, it? how how how, yeah. how being around other people and serving them yeah really allowed you to heal spiritually oh well that's that's it i mean that's just being around other people and serving them allowed me to heal spiritually uh you know that's that's it it's just you know when you are doing something um uh in service i think you're just you're like a channel you're connected to you know there's light you know it's god's light you could say coming down through you through them when your heart is pure when you're um out there chasing money and i worked sales jobs for sure you know but we had a period of time where i took a break from chinese medicine worked in fundraising and sales um and you know when you're living uh to serve yourself um it's it gets old pretty quick and that actually drives people to want to go drink if you all day are slugging it out and you know doing sales um it's it's at least for me it was it was not fulfilling and so um yeah i think if you you know when if you can find a way to help others and anybody listening to this that has lyme is is in the valley and when you go into the valley it's like a rites of passage you're then you can help others you know you don't have to be a doctor i mean it's just you you are able to reach across the aisle and touch other people in a variety of ways, you know, that are also in the Valley once you've been there yourself. So if you're hearing this podcast and you've walked through the fight with Lyme, you already have what you need to help others. You don't have to, you know, it's not a lot of people think, Oh, I don't know if I could. The answer is yes, you can. Um, and then, um, you know, the healing for you comes as well, because then your light is coming down, you're channeling God's light through you. You're helping them. Your intention is pure. Um, and you're not walking around a holding me, me, me. It's more you're in a state of service. Um, yeah. So, Jacob, um, I'm going to ask you one last question before I let Ryan ask you his final question. The final question sure. of the podcast is there are some folks who believe that we are coming to uh, an enlightened time collectively. That yeah. There is this crossover between uh, between um, neuro neurology, psychology and traditional spiritual teachings. And we're and, and as that's coming together, we're becoming more enlightened. And I'm wondering um, how you, someone named Jacob, uh, you know, the, the, the man who is at the center of all traditional religions, uh, the man who had to wrestle with God in order to ultimately find his purpose, how this journey um, that you've been on, it, are, are, you, are you sort of a manifestation of this sort of crossover of all of these different teachings coming together you know yeah and man i just want to say 
super humble, uh, but I think I am. I am uh, a pretty much a very confusing. I think I confuse a lot of people. It, it, it's good to be a Renaissance man. You know, it's like people look at me and think, oh, you must be a police officer. You drive a truck and you have a pistol in your glove box, but you're also an acupuncturist that talks about spiritual healing and you, you know, pray and all these things. So, yeah, I think exactly. I, I'm extremely uh, thankful for all of the um, epic experiences I've, I've had the opportunity to walk through and survive. And um, through that, I, I do feel, um, yeah, like, like I've, I'm at, we're at a crossover and for me personally and culturally. Um, absolutely. You know, I, I see that. And, you know, as we expand and evolve, uh, we should expect that, you know, we should expect, and there's a great book, it's called the quantum and the Lotus. Um, and I think it's where a Buddhist monk and an astrophysicist trade places. The astrophysicist moves to the monastery and the Buddhist monk goes and studies, um, you know, uh, some kind of crazy mathematics and they meet up and they have a conversation and they kind of say, Oh, you know, I think the Eastern spiritual tradition and, you know, quantum physics is kind of saying the same thing. So I think as we evolve and expand our consciousness, um, we're going to see more overlap, more integration. Um, and and, and is, isn't it interesting that, you know, so many traditions find their tradition as a vehicle for, for disagreeing with one another. And, you know, and some of the crazy things we're seeing in the Middle East, when in fact, every single tradition, no matter what tradition you study, Eastern or Western, traditional or non-traditional, are actually saying exactly the same thing, just from a different perspective. And again, totally. a guy named Jacob, Right. Um, you know, and again, I, our listeners know that I've been studying the Torah for the last two years. A man named Jacob is here now discussing Eastern philosophy. Right. And how the, how how there's no there's no conflict. It's actually every single tradition is teaching exactly the same thing. You just have to look for it. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And, you know, it's just it's just, again, a, a huge honor to, to be here with your um audience and talk to you guys and uh yeah it's you know as ryan mentioned it's very therapeutic and cathartic to go back and talk about some of the stuff and you know i've always felt like and i've had many people tell me like man you've lived a really um unique life and i think so many of us out there have and um uh and i think so many of the all you know the listeners are probably in, this, in the same boat in that life is very complex um we're confronted with all kinds of different things and there's um something good and great opportunity in, in all the challenges we could. And, you know, life is, is not simple, especially these days. Uh, and so, yeah, I think we should just expect to see that more and more as we, you know, go forward in time in our lifetimes and our children's lifetimes. And, um, uh, and hopefully we can keep up with it. You know, I'm an optimist and, uh, have great faith in the goodness of the human heart in the magic and light and God's love in our world. Um, and, uh, yeah, those are, those are my guiding forces for sure. But I think I probably veered off topic here a little bit, but no, you're, yeah. I think you're, I think you're right on topic, but we're getting now, uh, because you've both been so kind to us, uh, here at Tick Bootcamp and to our listeners, we're going to, we're going to let, uh, Ryan ask you the final question and we're going to wind down this podcast. Okay. Okay. Wow. So the, yeah, this has been really, really, uh, I guess, uh, really relation like it's really re related relative to me like i feel like I, you and i have a lot of similarities and one of the things that i that i love that you've come from a place where you were partying having these experiences with drugs and fast crazy lifestyle and this illness slapped you down and made you and your body said no you can't do this anymore you're gonna have to find another path because this isn't gonna work and so i'd love to to depart with our listeners from one of my favorite quotes for anybody that feels like, you know, hey, I'm a good person and but you're making mistakes and you've made mistakes 
and you're dwelling on them and you're not, you know, if people really get what they've done in life and how they've made mistakes. And one of the, one of my favorite quotes, because we go through so much evil uh, in life or, you know, is it just the world is a terrible place. And an old Native American quote that resonates with me um, that when I think about the mistakes I've made and then the things I've done that are good and why I do the things that are bad or good, um, it comes down to, 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 to free will and choice. And so the quote goes, an old Cherokee told his grandson, my son, there is a battle between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger, jealousy, greed, resentment, inferiority, lies, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, empathy, and truth. The asked and asked, Grandfather, which wolf wins? And the old man quietly replied, the one you feed. And uh, I just think that's so true. I mean, it, it, it's you feed that yin and yang. We all have the capabilities for grace or for pure evil and uh and so what I want to know is if you had to go back and do it all over again and you had to go and experience this, would you go through it? Or if you could go back and it didn't happen to you, would you erase that part of your life and why well, or why not? Absolutely not, man. You know, I, I would definitely not erase it. I would go through it again um, because not only did it, it completely redirect the course of my life. Um, it actually brought me to everything good in my life. You know, the people that I'm around, the way that I think my uh, love and passion for exercise, uh, my career that supports myself and my family, um, uh, you know, the people in my life, all, all these things, you know, that are so good and, and so rich and so powerful came from the absolutely difficult and brutal experience of Lyme. And uh, yeah, and, and, and so I wouldn't change a thing. Um, it, and now I, I'm able to serve others. And, you know, I, I kind of, I feel like, man, I went through, you know, the fire. I didn't give up. There were times that I felt like I was right on the edge and I would pray, you know, I want to stay. I'm meant to stay, you know, it's not time for me to go. Um, and, you know, so it was thankfully by the grace of God able to get through that. And now I can do what I'm really meant to do. I can live the way I'm meant to live. And, and actually, I think it's our birthright as humans to, um, to be able to, to reach that. But, you know, the, the path there for me was just absolutely scorcher. You know, it was just scorcher. It was beautiful. It was brutal. Um, but, but now, um, uh, I'm extraordinarily thankful for what I have and the, the change perspective and all the above. Yeah. And I would just offer to the, the listeners that are down in the fire in the fight, they're exhausted. They've been fighting, you know, five, 10, 15, some people, 20 plus years. I would just say, hang on to your light. Don't give up hang on to your light 